Yeah, it comes with like four different shoe variants. <laughs> <laughs> I am deleting this so fast. No, shut up. No, we can't put that in. Um, Patreon special. What a yeah, that's it. That yeah, if anybody wants the Patreon shit, special, we should start like, a Patreon. To delete shit. We didn't actually say anything. Like the only people who are gonna know, we didn't say. Yeah, anything. fuck you, we have, slandered, we have slandered nobody. The only people who know are the people who know, and you know what happened. So, like, what are you telling us? We get mad for it. We didn't even say anything. We protected all everybody. We have not slandered anybody. We're just laughing about. I think this is a great talk. idea. This is what we call an inside joke. We know what it's about. Yeah. Welcome to episode 39 of Podcast X. It's been a couple of weeks since we were here. We had Comic-Con stuff. We had these guys were on vacation. I broke my big toe. There's been a lot, uh, there's been a lot going on. So um, we're here this week, though, and we're going to get caught up talking about San Diego Comic-Con. Rob was on the ground there this year. Kofi and I did not make it out. Hopefully next year we'll be there, be there again. We can all record together. Uh, and we'll talk Barbenheimer as well as maybe briefly like why Mission Impossible is maybe one of Tom Cruise's only box office bomb. Well, not the mommy and stuff. I think it's box office bomb. But, yeah. uh, uh, so I'm your host, Ben Kendrick. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hey, yeah, I'm here. I'm back. I'm very tired. Wait, wait, do we know about this broken toe situation? No, what happened there? Know. This was Thursday. Well, there's two stories I'm telling. One is the one I told my wife. <laughs> the other is the truth. <laughs> so I, uh, I told my wife that I dropped a, a drill on my foot, but really I fell off a ladder. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was hanging a bike rack in our garage and like our garage, like a portion of it is concrete. And like, that's where I wanted to put it in. So I was like, I had like a, you know, like a drill and a drill bit for like, drilling out concrete and everything. And I just pushed, like I was pushing my weight against the wall and this kind of little, like, it's not really like a stepping stool. It's kind of like a little platform step that I have. Like yeah. it just, you've seen these things, right? It's got like four legs and it's like two or three feet long or something uh-huh. like that. It just buckled out from underneath. Like it, like Ugh. the leg slipped out and I fell back and I like landed. It could have been so much worse, dude, because it was like a table saw and all kinds of stuff. It was like something out of Final Destination, but I just managed to actually kind of like smooth Ninja Turtle style, speaking of that, like sort of rode the thing as I was falling down. But then I think I curled my toe and just like broke the, uh, like the tip of it, basically. Did you go in and get it like, yeah, x-rayed and stuff. Yeah. But it, they basically, it's like they were more worried about it than you would like a normal toe because, or like the other toes because it's my big toe. And they're like, well, you lead with your big toe. So if it was like your middle toe, we'd tell you to just tape it to one of the other toes. Right. But they were they were saying uh, like with a big toe, it's a little bit more involved. So I actually have to go to a podiatrist next week and they're just going to make sure it's healing okay. But I basically just have like a little boot <laughs> that keeps my foot like. Yeah, yo, yo, yo. Here's the real question though. Are you working or do you need time off? 
<laughs> that day I took off just because I was in and out of the x-ray stuff, but no, I've been working. Okay, sure. okay. You know, <laughs> I'll never forget many, many, many years ago one time you went to Kofi and I, you're like, oh man, I, my hand's sore. I burned my hand or something. And you're like, I'm taking days off. And I'm like, what the fuck? Your hand still works. Your eyes still work. What, what is this? Yeah, that's true. I actually, I, yeah, I totally remember that. I, uh, no, I, no, I just, I jumped right back into it. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. Manning up. I've grown, I've grown up in these, yeah, in these fine times. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so how was your? So Kofi was on a on a staycation. No, you actually went somewhere, right? You go down to Florida. I went to Florida like weeks ago. That was a whole other world. The whole entertainment industry collapsed since I went on vacation. Dude. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> true. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump into San Diego Comic Con. So that's where Rob was last week. Obviously, the SAG um, strike certainly <laughs> changed the dynamic a little bit there, but it seemed like it was still a cool event. Like in some ways, like the way it was like pivoted and more, a little bit more creative yeah. and comic focused um, again. Well, I think Kofi kind of teed it up. He said the whole industry fell apart, and, and it kind of did. I mean, Kofi, you were scheduled to come, I think, right? I imagine the strike kind of reduced your team. Is that what happened? Yeah, like, uh, not to get too inside baseball, but like, yeah, we were supposed to go to Comic-Con and have a whole squad. We had a whole suite. We had everything set up. And then I went on vacation, and then I'm just getting messages like, hey, don't necessarily plan on going to Comic-Con. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then I look in, and I rethink, because I've been, I was literally just getting back to Shangri-La in my head and sitting on beaches all day, and then I look in the interwebs and sure enough sag had gone on strike and it was just like panels are done and everybody pulled out and yeah like a high school prom everybody pulled out and i was just like all right <laughs> i guess i'm not going and then i was just um, like yeah I'm not going so yeah, yeah it was that, crazy and this happened like so dad contest for everyone this happened like five days before the schedule beginning of comic-con i think right comic-con began wednesday of last week and it was like i was week prior I was yelling at Jim Vixcardi, what's going on? Because it was like a Thursday or Friday like of my vacation, and I was supposed to come back yeah. from vacation and go right to Comic-Con a couple days later, and I was not sure if I was going or not. I'm like, Jim, what is happening? Yeah, it was uh, nuts. It, it's nuts, yeah. So I know for you guys in Comic Book, because of that, you only ended up having uh, Jim, uh, your video guy, Richard, and BD there, so kind of a small team. But that was a story all around. Our friends at Cineblend had one person and a camera operator, uh, Eric Eisenberg, my boy Jeff. So like it, that was the case across the board. Uh, other outlets pulled out entirely, like Entertainment Tonight usually has a setup in the Hard Rock Hotel by the convention center. They had nothing. Um, and uh, AP pulled out their media room, uh, which is in the same hotel we had ours. By the way, Kofi, your, your media suite is a different spot, I think, this year. It was actually really cool. It's a nice big room. I'm going to try to steal it next year. You can tell Jim that. Um, <laughs> but uh, So we were kind of stuck, though, because – on my side of screen ran, of course, we have a couple of sister sites that we're planning to go as well. We, you know, Clyder's always there. We were planning to have a media suite for CBR, which would be shared a little bit, movie web, and the gaming sites would just send a few people to cover the gaming panels. And I'll get to uh, those panels in a second on, on what the highlights actually were. Um, but because of all the strikes and stuff like that, and what we're talking about, um, virtually every TV and film panel was canceled like very last minute, meaning none of the talent could go and promote these things, right? Because of the strike. Um, so we in our media suite, uh, and I should say we kept ours, Collider kept theirs. We we kind of canceled the, the CBR one and we kind of reduced the amount of people that were gonna go because we didn't need as many people in panels, obviously, or doing video. So um, but for me and Screaming, I kept everybody 
because we were doing it for different reasons. One, we had a very small editorial team covering panels anyway. You don't need that many people in the panels to cover the news. We all know how the game works now. You can cover that stuff mostly remotely. Most after of my we, budget – After we pioneered that shit. After we created that shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah you need to see, start saying this, – this podcast is getting really sloppy about saying that kind of shit. Like, yeah. yeah. 100%. After after we three of us literally. <laughs> yeah. Created the we model. literally created that yeah. from San Diego one year when we couldn't get everybody in and we were like, we got a house, we rented a house at the time and we were just like, yeah, maybe we should just keep a bunch of people there. And then we kept the whole team in there and we kicked ass yeah. that year. 100%. Like, and uh, oh, by the way, man, shit. looking back on how things are handled now, we had such a baller condo back then, right in the gas lane. That thing, that place, I always pass that, that place. Saying. I love that place. Yeah, you yeah, can't. There, there's nothing like that anymore. There are no Airbnbs or rentals nearby. So yeah, I got to play the hotel lottery system, which is a nightmare in and of itself. There's a whole other story there. But how do we got in? Um, I think I hear music in the background. I'm playing Zelda during all this. I'm not. Oh. Stop my <laughs> <laughs> you gotta need that shit, man. You can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> multitasker, man. I don't know that I could do all that. Um. Where was I going with this? Yeah, so we we kept our media speed going. For me, we, we already had um like we couldn't we couldn't pull up. We already had our costs set up. We we had a we had a like a what do you call it? Like our sets and stuff were being shipped in. We couldn't stop it. We had uh, hired a whole video crew, including audio engineers, live switcher, all these people. I wanted to keep it going because last year we held the media suite. Our, our room was absolute trash. Like the hotel Hilton Bayfront beside the convention center in San Diego, like they were half on strike. We didn't get any of the stuff we ordered from them and we didn't have budget to do like a proper big set and big crew. So we were like under resourced. Everything was terrible. And I said, um, we're never going to do that again unless we have to do it properly. So this year, of course, we do it properly. And what happens? 23 cancellations <laughs> over the course of two days after the strike is announced. We had – Everybody coming to our room, like the Walking Dead stuff, three Star Trek shows. Um, you guys are Orphan Black fans. We had the Echoes crew coming in. We had Bill Ooh, Shatner yeah. coming in. We had Jamie Lee Curtis coming in. And like, it, like every show and movie that was going to be there, we had, we had cast and crew coming in. Like uh, Wheel of Time season two, like everything. It was going to be awesome. All that got canceled. But I still had like 15, 20 things in the books that were like directors. For example, Gareth Edwards was there promoting uh, the creator. Justin Simeon was there. Um, my old pal from Universal was there promoting Disney's Haunted Mansion, and they were on Steve or Frosty's Collider panel, directing directors on directing. So they were going to be there anyways because they're not on strike. Um, and uh, we had David Leach coming by, all, all that stuff. So so he had to pull out though because he's he's a member of SAG. Um, but anyways, so what I did is I kind of converted a lot of our on the floor interviews we had with like DC and Image and Boom, and just brought them to the room because a lot of them wanted to do on camera anyways. And then we started bringing just everyone. We could find that like, during the event every day, I was just texting people, messaging people like I used to do. If they were at the show on Twitter, I would just message, message them and say, hey, come on by. And I, I made like another 10, 12, 15 interviews happen um, during the show. And then and the days leading up to it, add another dozen. So we ended up having a full suite. It just wasn't – it wasn't your quote, unquote, A-list TV talent. But we still had a lot of great, 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 great video coverage. And you'll appreciate this one, Ben. In my hotel, the first night we went out, and man, we always do this. We go so hard the first night from party to party to after party at some bar or something. And on the way back, I get into the hotel at the Hilton and I get in the elevator with, I don't even remember who I came home, came back with, by the way. It was like someone from, from Screamer or Collider or something. And then uh, I walk in and the door opens and Dean walks in. It's, it's Cliffy B. Remember Cliffy B? Like oh, from yeah. Cliff yeah, yeah. from Epic Games. Yeah, he did all the demos for me at E3. Yeah. yeah. Him and his wife Lauren come in and he is 
fucking smashed. He's hunched over. He could. He's in a different dimension. This guy. Uh, and I look at him. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so tired. He's like not even doesn't even know if he exists right now. And I'm like, oh, I gotta say something. I'm like, Cliff, what's going on, man? Like, you do, you will not remember me, but you've done so many interviews and, and demos with us and our team, and you guys have always been great. Um, and he looks at me and he's like, oh man, thanks for the support, dude. And then we started, and his wife was really nice to us and everything. And then I got back to my hotel room and like drunk me goes on right away to my computer. And I, I message him <laughs> and I message his publicist because he's there promoting a comic, Scrapper. And I'm oh, like, yeah. dude, he's here. He's in the same hotel. I just saw this guy. He's drunk out of his mind. Bring him by the room. And then he, the next morning, I'm like, yeah, we'll come by. So like that kind of stuff happened. So uh, that was kind of like the fun of it, like to have the scrappy gorilla style fill the room um that ended up being my job i actually didn't go to any panels this year not a single one um except when i was on i did my first ever um san diego comic-con panel this year which was cool but um to, to what you said ben yeah it was a cool year because there was no and there was still a holiday programming but it was like half the slate and it was like stuff that moved um what happened was instead of having six thousand people sitting in hall h and another 10 whatever or thousands of people in line same same for ballroom 20 where there's thousands lining up every day all those people were just on the show floor or they were visiting smaller independent panels. So you got more – there was a lot more life in the toy panels and some of the comic panels and stuff like that. Yeah, what you, cool. what you Quote, unquote, smaller panels and, and it wasn't. So it felt like very OG Comic-Con, which was kind of cool. And it was very – for our team, like we brought in uh, a couple of guys from our comics, anime team, and video team. And it was our first year there and I think it was an excellent first year because I felt like a true – comic and pop culture convention versus like the Hollywood wait in line all day situation. Right. Um, because no matter what, like these tickets, these tickets for San Diego comic are sold out months and months and months in advance, 130,000 unique individuals. They're still going. They're just not waiting in line anymore. So they're yeah, all over yeah. the show floor and the show floor was packed. So that preview night, Wednesday night craziness you see when everyone's trying to get their like a con exclusive swag and toys the first night, they're all yeah. just everywhere, which was kind of exciting, but a nightmare to move around and grab photos. Um, so, so yeah, so I'll give you some highlights from what was on the floor. Like the Lego booth is always one of my favorites. They had a lot of cool stuff here. I'm kind of getting back into Lego and that now that my daughter kind of appreciates playing and building that stuff. Um, yeah. The big, the big cool thing there was the Star Wars sets because um, they had the three kind of uh, more adult collector items. They announced that Star Wars Celebration back in April. They had a couple of new ones from Mandalorian Season 4 that I helped debut earlier in April. But they had a couple brand new sets from Ahsoka, which we're all excited for for next month. They had like the Ghost, a really cool set. They had the E-Wing Starfighter. If you're a fan of like Rogue Squadron from the N64 days, they finally brought that into canon, which is cool. Uh, and they had that shuttle, Ahsoka shuttle, which was um, a big thing throughout the convention. Same with the ghost. So uh, another cool booth was a Star Wars booth. They had like all the costumes and all the lightsabers, five different lightsabers from the Ahsoka show. Really cool details. You look at Sabine's lightsaber, which is Ezra's old lightsaber, and you can see some of the That's changes cool. she made and stuff like that. Really cool stuff. Uh, Hasbro went crazy during their panel because they announced the biggest Star Wars toy vehicle they've ever made. Again, for Ahsoka, it's the ghost. It's this gigantic $500 crowdfunded project. That opens up. You can put like 11 full-size figures inside of it. It's like super detailed and impressive. I did an interview with the guys behind that. So, And I know we had geeked out about 80s and 90s toys a couple of episodes ago. They had some really cool, gigantic G.I. Joe vehicles too. A giant his tank and a giant helicopter that were also uh, oh, cool. like flagship style items that were unique and new. Um, yeah, so the show floor is dope. They had costumes for DC. No one fucking gives a shit about that right now. But they had like a slightly augmented bronze orange costume for Aquaman. And they had the same Blue Beetle costume they brought to CinemaCon. So um, and that movie's tracking to make zero money at the box office, unfortunately. But yeah. it was there. And then Marvel did their typical thing where each day they swapped out costumes. So they had like Adam Warlocks yeah. and, you know, 
Rocket Raccoon's costume, and they have Captain Marvel's costume, that kind of stuff. And he brought Cosmo the dog there, which is kind of neat on stage. Um, yeah, and then in terms of panels, like even though there was no talent, they had kind of moderators go up and just show footage and stuff like that. And sometimes they had showrunners or directors or producers, but that's about it. I mean, they had three Star Trek shows there. They aired the crossover episode with Star Trek Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds, which is came out last week or this week. It's it's very good. Uh, Futurama did the first ever Comic Con. Awesome, right? And then uh, the next episode, which I don't know if it's out now, if it's this week, the Klingon episode, also amazing. And next week is the musical episode. So doing that Buffy style yeah. gimmick, full on musical. I just got the screener for that today. So I'll watch that. Yeah, the screeners, the screeners dropped today, right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched um, it you can watch all of this on Paramount plus your mouth yes, entertainment. They're not all missing right. on Star Trek right now, which is wonderful. A good plan. Yeah, Stan, uh, Strange new world season two has been off the chain. Like, uh, I just want to watch a whole series about Mbanga and Renurse chapel. Yeah, like, <sighs> I don't want to. Mbanga. Fucking what? What an amazing casting decision. And his backstory in the Klingon episode is fucking awesome. So um, very cool character. I mean, all these people defending Secret Invasion. I'm like, go watch Star Trek. I mean, come on. Less budget. Same, they're making this show at the same time period. How come these other shows are so damn good and Marvel's like shit in the bed? Anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, what was I going to say about Star Trek? Oh, Star Trek, funny enough, after that panel, they caused some problems for the show floor because they promised to give out a poster for the musical episode at their booth. So what happened? A fucking thousand people tried to charge that booth and the fire marshals had to come in and they kind of scrambled everyone. And then like 30 minutes later happened again, same spot. Marshals, Yeah. So I think Paramount's in some, some hot shit with the Comic-Con organizers for crossing the biggest safety concern of the event. Podcast X does not reflect the opinions of Paramount, <laughs> Paramount company or its owners, shareholders, employees or subsidiaries. I almost lost some staff in that goddamn mob. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Um, yeah. Oh, the other big thing on the Saturday night, Futurama, they were supposed to do like the big fucking junk and all this crazy stuff. They still had a big show, but the big thing they did, uh, they do their first ever Comic Con like live, um, sorry, light drone show, which was amazing. And they had like hundreds of drones flying over the convention center, doing like all these animated characters and stuff like that, announcing uh, the next season coming to Hulu and stuff. It was very, very cool. And the, the entire like bayfront area of San Diego just stopped in the streets and looked up. Cars were stopping and looking up. It was, it was amazing. I never seen anything like it. Uh, Funko did some like giant concert with random celebrities showing up. They had like 3,000 people there and gave them all tons of swag and stuff like that. I didn't even go. I hate Funkos, but that was a big deal. Um, yeah, and then uh, we talked about the costumes already. On, on the video game front, they had Marvel Spider-Man 2 there in Hall H, which was nice to see. Uh, and they had Star Wars Outlaws there, which also looked incredible. And so we did some interviews for that. And then, uh, like I said, a big, big year for comics to anime. The Walking Dead had a big, big show. Um, what was the other thing? Uh, I, I guess one of the big call-outs, too, is Invincible. They finally gave kind of like the dates for season two. They dropped that episode that night um, with Adam Eve. And then they uh, also confirmed season three is on the way as well. So that was kind of cool to see. And we had Kirkman and Todd McFarlane and all those guys come to our room as well. So a very kind of um, more chill, relaxed. Like, I didn't feel like I missed anything, even though I didn't go to any panels. For me, having not gone last year, it's my first Comic-Con in four years. So I was kind of just like catching up with everyone and, and all the LA peeps. And for me, it was just industry meetings, parties, and hanging out, which was just awesome to catch up. And also meeting some of my own staff I've never met before. So that was really cool as well. So um, I really hope you guys come next year. And if this podcast blows up like it should, let's just do a panel, a small panel somewhere. Oh, man, that'd be fun. You were on a panel. 
what, so what was the panel? The panel was supposed to be, oh, yeah. it was supposed to be like, it was supposed to be like actors and stuff talking about so their fan I, experiences. So what did you end up having? Yeah. So I'll back it up a little bit. So between Collider and, and Screamer, we hosted seven or eight panels. So I was asked to do a Babylon 5 panel and a Power Rangers panel. I couldn't do either of those. I had no time. Um, I was going to do Babylon 5 until my man Joe actually binged all fucking five seasons and seven movies of that in like two weeks. Oh so I let him do it. We had Jay Michael Straczynski come into our room like three times for like for That's that, cool. for the panel, for his Captain America comic. Um, I loved that show. I actually watched it when it was on. Uh, in Power Rangers, Joe is a massive fan. So I just gave him a yeah, piece of comics and yeah. that. But so yeah, like you were saying, TV Guide Magazine hosts a big – TV stars panel every year in Ballroom 20, which is that's the, for anyone who's never been to Comic Con, Ballroom 20 is like the second biggest room. It's a lot uh, where a lot of the big TV stuff happens. If it's not in Hall H, it's a big show, it's going to be in Ballroom 20. It carries like 3,000 people or something. Um, so typically, he's got like the biggest stars from like the 10 biggest shows there. It's like Norman Reedus from Walking Dead, etc. I was the fill in for Norman Reedus because no, no TV stars could be there. So he decided to yeah. rejigger it and, and focus it on. TV fandoms and our side of the industry and like our experiences at Comic-Con recommendations during the strike and all that stuff like that. Uh, in that boot, in that room though, on Saturdays, the panels, instead of being an hour, with only 45 minutes and we had six panelists. So it was like really not much time to chat. I, I had so many stories though. I had the crowd dying about like our my first time at Comic-Con. Kofi was out that year when I was like lining up with all the Twilight New Moon fans for like that and Avatar and like everyone wanted my team Jacob twilight hat. And I said no to all the girls because <laughs> I had the only one who had one. And yeah, it was, it was really, really cool. And just getting that intro and walking out on stage in front of like 1500 people was kind of nuts because it's, it's, it's surreal. I've done this at other events, but never San Diego. And it's, it's, it really is surreal walking out there and you can't see shit because all the lights are in your face and you can't hear, there's no audio monitors. So like, you're like so desperately looking at the other panelists and the moderator trying to figure out what the hell they're saying. Um, so you have to really pay attention. So if you ever see like actors and stuff up there and they don't answer the question correctly or they look lost or they ask for the question again, like I totally get it now. It's really difficult being up there, but um, it was also really cool. So I, I'd hope to do that again sometime, but uh, that's all to say we should do our own panel for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. that's Comic Con in, in, in a nutshell. We still got hundreds of articles out of all the smaller things. I mean, there's lots of little Star Wars and comics news which we pulled from and stuff. So, um, yeah, fun year despite the mess. Um, so I hope next year, I think if you guys can make it out there, I, I imagine a lot of these studios want to make it up and it'll be like a big year. You know, knock on wood, all the strikes are of course done by then. But uh, yeah, yeah. Comic Con 2023, big old fun mess. Cool, fun mess. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm kind of. I mean, I am jealous that like I wasn't there this year, just because I. I used to love one of my thing. My one of my favorite things about New York Comic Con, and you know, Kofi and I spent a lot of time in New York Comic Con, and you've been there a couple times. But is that like you know like there's it's so much more creator focused and so much yeah. more about the comics and so much more like the panels are just in my opinion like a little bit more like unique and interesting because the studios hadn't at least for a long time, sort of taken it over. And I know that's kind of changed, but, yeah, I, but you're right though. Even when they did take over, it was still like one big movie and you get a couple big shows. Yeah. It wasn't exactly. like 10 movies and 30 shows. You get that's a San Diego. Yeah. yeah. And you, I mean, you and I were in that panel with like Gareth Edwards doing, talking about like monsters. monsters. Like yeah. Years ago, right? I think Kofi was there too, right? Like yeah. I remember that was crazy. Yeah. That was such a cool, like those kind of things. I just, I mean, that's my appreciation for kind of the way that the, the con sort of pivoted in order to deal with the, you know, the lack of the, the actors and stuff there. Like it seemed like it ended up being a more intimate and cool thing, but um, yeah. So 
That's cool. Yeah. Um, it was good. Well, next year, next year, we'll all, we'll all make something happen for sure. Yeah, yeah. That would, should, be, uh, that would be fun. Um, okay, well, you guys want to talk Barbenheimer? Um, we So we passed over, like, we can talk really quickly. We passed over Mission Impossible just because that was kind of the week that you guys were, I think, you know, maybe it was when Kofi was on vacation and then we had Comic-Con and everything. So, um, like, we now can confirm that that movie was basically a box office bomb, as we were talking about before we started recording, which is, like, kind of nuts for that franchise. But I think, Kofi, you sort of hit the nail on the head. Like, it was definitely, like, probably just, like, released at the wrong time, um, just in terms of all the competition and stuff that was coming out. But but what did you guys, just, like, quickly, like, what did you guys think of Mission Impossible? Jesus Christ. This is your transition. I've been sitting here playing some Zelda, like, Chilling, like, <laughs> I needed you. I needed you. You playing Zelda? Yeah. Just launch a Barbenheimer. Let's talk about Barbenheimer. So, here's how you're <laughs> gonna do this. All right. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Now that I'm, uh, now that I'm speaking for the uh, number one comic book Paramount podcast, Comic Book Nation, I'm gonna give you some tips. Here we go. We're gonna improve your All podcast. Right, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's just start with Barbenheimer. So, Barbenheimer happened this weekend. Um, if you're a single person trying to look for uh, anybody who's like possibly into Barbie ladies or anything in between, like you want to park your car outside a local Cineplex, get a good setup, <laughs> maybe set up some pink, pink men, you know, Cosmos or something. But uh, yeah, they're gonna, <laughs> there's going to be a flock coming out of that Barbie movie theater who are looking to party after that are going to be in a good mood. I saw, I went to go see Haunted Mansion last night and, or what is it? Thursday on Tuesday, I went to see Haunted Mansion and, the, my God, the movie theater on a Tuesday looked like a raucous Saturday. It was insane, yeah. and it was Barbie parties. One hundred percent. That's how it was uh, last night for the. That's how it was last night for the turtle screening too. It was just like yeah, there were so insane. many people there. And it like dinner tonight. I heard people talking about Oppenheimer. It, it's like it's like it actually feels like there are movies out that people give a shit about, which is crazy. I yeah, don't think that's happening. Barbie's a crazy cultural event, and Oppenheimer's a cinephile's like you know jag off dream, and you know yeah. everybody's talking about it and. Yeah, it's a good time. I mean, this is – I just keep saying soak it in. I'm a big yeah. believer post-therapy of like, you know, you got to soak in the time and the moments when they're happening because you got to imagine how dark the future could get and enjoy the moment now. With a yeah. strike, we are fucked for next year. So just <laughs> enjoy this goddamn weekend. But um, yeah, so let's just get into it. So box office is crazy. Barbie's making crazy money. Oppenheimer's doing well for Nolan and and it kind of – We'll see how it does internationally, but it's doing well domestically for sure. I mean, adult. And I remember just like last week uh, on the hopefully award-winning and currently top-ranked comic book nation, we were talking about, we did a whole spoiler episode about Oppenheimer. And we were just, I said, the weirdest thing about doing this episode is like, for real, my brain has not had to process like adult cinema in a very long time. And it feels like in each in their own way, we're getting that you know, real sophisticated, like what cinema is supposed to do. The shit Nicole Kidman talks about in the AMC intro type deal, but we're getting that this week. And um, yeah, so, I mean, I can share my thoughts on Oppenheimer. Uh, Barbie is saved for a wife date whenever, you know, people we're, we're living in the nineties. We don't admit it again, but we're living in the nineties where people could take like upwards of a month to go see a movie in the theaters these days. So eventually I'm going to go see Barbie with my wife, but um, Oppenheimer was, 
it was good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm coming in late again, but um, yeah, it, it was good. It was just adult cinema. It was Nolan. We've done quite a few Nolan movies. They've had a significant effect on the three of us talking about shit for sure. Um, yeah. Rob and I got into this because of the Dark Knight is when we started doing Screen Rant. Yeah. One of our biggest articles was covering the Dark Knight reviews, breakdowns, and then we created speculation posts right after that fun internet internet yeah. blogosphere fact people didn't really write about like what could happen in movies until after the dark knight when we started kind of writing all kinds of different articles what will batman 3 be about which villain should be in it what should the story be about like all that stuff so oh, hell and those yeah. were good times those were really good times i loved i remember where i was standing writing most of those articles i remember where i was because i was just having such a ball like Oh shit! I can just talk about all my crazy theories about a movie, and people are fucking into it. Dude, so yeah, we, it, we invented a whole yeah. Nolan movies helped us a thing, and then Inception because Inception came out later. We invented the ending explain post. I did that one, yeah. and then like yeah, Inception kept us doing all kinds of shit for so long. And yeah, man, we have a big connection to Nolan movies. It's a big deal. I'm sorry, Rob, you were going to say something. No, I was going to say that era that, 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 that's, I mean, that's, I mean, for us, it's kind of our career starts. Like that summer was really when I started that 2008 summer. Right. And it was like yeah. the dark night and, and that speculation and like getting like huge epics, like this genre stuff was becoming so mainstream, obviously, but it was also the beginning of the cinematic universe. So what, and, and also we were leading up to the development of like the first X-Men spinoff, right? Wolverine. So all respect, we were writing about fucking Transformers 2 speculation. It was X-Men 4 and Deadpool and Cable speculation. It was MCU stuff and like the Dark Knight and what that's going to lead to and Green Lantern and all this crazy shit. So you're right. That was like prime peak passion and excitement. And that's, we, we kind of rebuilt, I mean, the entire fucking industry copied us after that, obviously. Like the, we, we yeah, started, yeah. reshaped it all, right? So. Yeah, if you've ever yeah, read yeah. it, if you've ever read anything ever explained on the internet, <laughs> you can thank you can thank Christopher Nolan's Inception for inspiring that entire like content format that we like then like used on a shit ton of other stuff. Or everything, all these character deep dives and what how they can weave them in and stuff is crazy. Oh yeah, all speculation posts, ending explain posts, all that. And now it's hilarious. Every Friday, I just open up the internet and I'm just like, "What's the movie this week?" And then all I see is just like, and he explained what should happen to the next one. I'm like, God damn it. Anyway, yeah. so we, we did that. But um, so we have a deep attachment to Christopher Nolan movies. And um, it, it's kind of funny to get this movie now because I feel like this movie and we can get into this, but there's a lot going on in this movie. But I feel like a definite part of this, and I've argued this, is a subtext about, you know, what it is to create something and have the world take it and, and kind of what happens after that and how you can, because of this thing you can create created, you can find yourself living in and like a really fucking twisted era or time or, or shift in the world. And I feel like a lot of that is about Christopher Nolan kind of freaking like reflecting on what it was to make the dark Knight trilogy. And there oh, I've, I've gotten my tinfoil hat on about how many parallels there are in this movie from guy trying to work with his brother all the time and can't quite get him in because people are like, I don't know about your brother and like all these other things like, like go on. But um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's just like, there are a lot of parallels. There's like in again, loosely cause everybody's never, it's not a biography about making the dark Knight trilogy, but uh, weirdly I was like, wow. But if you take that that way, like there's a lot that we can take from it about us making our careers like from, 
Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight yeah. trilogy. And then <laughs> what happened when everybody started getting the concepts and things we were doing and like what it turned into. So, I mean, yeah. I guess that's because, I mean, that's a timely, I mean, it's just a universal enough theme that Nolan hits on in this movie, but he does so very well. And it's uh, for sure. I think since memento, the best use I've seen of his nonlinear format storytelling, um, I feel like he might have sat down with Aaron Aronofsky, who like just flipped an ascot around his neck and was like, listen, you're so great, but there's some things you can do. Like you got to show him the raindrops over and over again. Like keep doing the raindrops because Aronofsky loves a good sequence. And there are sequences in here that feel very Aronofsky-esque. But um, I, I think it is his best use of like non-linear storytelling since Memento creatively because this movie, we, we're just trying to tell people what this movie does is so hard because it's like, it's a biopic about a guy over the course of three different, like at least three different time periods in his life, all happening at once and all kind of conversations, like long series of conversations between different characters and that being the driving force for most of the movie. Um, and conversations that are taking place in different epics, ep- epochs, at, at once, like we're seeing conversations spliced together from three different time periods over the kind of same subject matter, but like spliced together in ways with stylistic and kind of creative flourish. That is, it's hard to describe, but like really effective in this movie because the magic of this movie, as I tell people is like, like I said, it's scientists talking about science in or government types reviewing what the scientists did for pretty much all of this movie, except a cute couple key scenes. But in yet it is incredibly hard to feel like you can miss a single moment of this movie. And like, mm-hmm. it's incredibly hard to take a bathroom break. And I was like fucking stressing cause I had to go. And so I finally went and I went to the bathroom and I came back and I've been telling this story because I came back and I came back in the movie and I was like, Oh shit, I did it. I was like, okay, I'm good. I didn't miss anything. Like everything's fine here. And like, I sat down and I thought I was good up until I was writing articles about this movie. And I was writing specifically about like Florence Pugh's character. And I was getting pictures for the article off Twitter or X, you know, home of podcast X. They, they (laughs) responsored that whole thing because of us. Um, (laughs) Thanks Elon. The official um, podcast of Twitter. Yeah, that's what we are. Yeah. <laughs> and and I saw this bizarre scene of Florence Pugh's character in Oppenheimer sitting in the hearings with Jason Clark sitting naked and fit and like having these visions of of uh, Florence Pugh's character having sex with him while he's like sitting in the hearing. And I had to take another employee aside and be like, listen, man, like off the HR radar, like I'm going to ask you a weird question. I really need you to answer I, I I have to have the answer to this and I swear to God, I'm not like messing around, but is this thing like real or is this like some weird internet Florence Pugh porn deep fake? Like, I need you to tell me that. And they're like, <laughs> uh, no dude, that's totally real. And I was like, fuck, I really did go to the bathroom at the wrong time. <laughs> like this changes like a whole much about what I thought about this movie and like just this part, but like, yeah, you can't miss a single thing because I missed you know, ghost Florence Pugh having sex with Oppenheimer during a Senate hearing. And I went to the bathroom for like two minutes, maybe. And yeah, this movie is intense. And so I think it is, I think it's grown on me as, uh, as Nolan movies. I actually was ranking Nolan movies and I completely forgot about like the prestige and shit. I forgot like everything he's made, 
but this is definitely up in, I mean, it's easily within my top five. And I think it's definitely maybe within my top three for Nolan movies. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. But if not, it's like number four, it might be number four. Yeah, no, I think it's number four. I think the dark Knight prestige and inception inception all still rank above it yeah. for me, but it's uh, a close four. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking on Twitter and people were talking about like ranking Christopher Nolan movies. I haven't seen this yet because I saw Barbie, but I, I would put my I mean, I don't know where it fits. But yeah, those three are tough to beat no matter how good. Wait, Kobe, follow up. What would you put five then? Would you put Batman Begins, Memento or what would be a come after that? You think? Oh, wait, did I say Inception? No, I think Memento. Uh, that's why I think this is four. I think the Dark Knight uh Inception and Memento are my three. Oh, okay. Top oh, so movies. you put Prestige at five? Yeah, I'd put or Interstellar. Five. Okay. No, I hate Interstellar. It's way at the bottom. Um, yeah, <laughs> I put. I'd go Dark. Okay, if we're gonna do this, fuck. Now you back my back me against the wall. Fuck this. All right, so I'm gonna go the Dark Knight. Then I'm gonna go Inception. Then I would go Memento. No, you know what? I think I'm gonna go Oppenheimer three and Memento four Whoa. and Prestige five. Um, I'm and pretty close. In Memento and Prestige are so close. I could flip flop those easily. I could make Prestige four and Memento five. I think Memento was just so revolutionary. Cool. Yeah, it was. I just I don't I don't have the same reverence I do. The same. Prestige was so fucking dope when I saw that in theaters. Uh, I watched Memento. I taught it when we used to work at old ASA. Ben remembers because he had to use yeah. movies a lot. So yeah. I used Memento for, uh, to teach um, nonlinear narrative structure, to teach yeah. people how to tell a story out of order um, and all that and like all those kids. And so I watched that movie a million times. And the more and more I watched it, the more and more I had like a good appreciation for it. Um, it is definitely an indie movie, but uh, I love it. But um, I don't know. But uh, yeah, huh. after that, uh, we can debate after that. I mean, yeah, the Dunkirks and the Interstellars. And- oh, I, Dunkirk. I, I still have not finished that movie. I just can't. I just had not. Uh, I like Dunkirk. I think I think Dunkirk is one of the best builds to a climax in a Nolan movie. Yeah. Like, it gets really fucking intense. Like, in the I third finish act of that movie. Um, and there's um, a lot of great performances. Your your boy from fucking uh, the Batman and Eternals is in that. That's where he got like a big breakout. Killian Murphy even has like a great like little fucking bit role in that movie. Like there's yeah. a lot of good stuff in Dunkirk. Yeah. Dunkirk was good. I think I saw that with Chris Agar, like after Comic-Con, like whatever, that would have been five or six years ago now. Or in San Diego. Yeah. 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 Oh, like ten. him and I, cause he, cause yeah, like we've, I think we flew out, you know, like Sunday, you know how like I would always yeah. do this. I think we were throwing like, so everybody else was gone. So I think Saturday night or, well, it must have been Sunday night. We just like went and saw a movie before, our, like we flew out on like Monday morning or something like that. I think. Yeah, this was the first year I skipped. I, I left first thing Sunday morning because we were closing up shops. So it was like, yeah. kind of nice to get home on the weekend versus Monday. Yeah. Um, wait, so Ben, you haven't seen Oppenheimer? I haven't yet. No, because like they okay. did the thing where nationwide, like you know, if you were going to a screening, they were scheduled the same night. Of course, nationwide, um, they were scheduled those things the exact same night. The only place you could see it was LA or New York. Those are the only two places I think where like they had additional screenings, but you can see it in a normal theater. with us peasants, Ben. 
Well, yeah, I plan to do that. I plan to do that this weekend Jesus. probably, but I haven't made it over there yet. <laughs> the only place they screened it early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to see this like a normal person. The moment I got home from Comic-Con, tired AF, I went straight to the theater and saw what you guys were talking about. All the staff was wearing various, uh, you know, pink everything, pink shirts, pink onesies, everything. It was crazy. And then I also saw three high school kids dressed up in old-fashioned fucking suits with the Oppenheimer hat and everything, which I I have not seen this shit in over a decade. I know everyone's reporting the same thing everywhere, but uh, it was cool to see everyone, like, hyped for a film. And I was just – while you were talking, I was looking up the screenings for the weekend, and, like, they have screenings. I've, I've never seen this since the theater opened 15 years ago. They have added the screenings, like, every, like, 30, 40 minutes. And, like, all, like, the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock ones and, and the in-betweens are all almost packed, which is amazing. Uh, especially given like some of the box office issues, Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible face. By the way, did we talk about Indiana Jones in this podcast? I don't remember. We that was last we episode, right? I think we did. Yeah, I think it was last right. episode. It feels yeah. like a year ago. Um, yeah, okay, well, we got that one under the belt. Um, yeah, Oppenheimer. I, I think Kofi. The thing I relate to most is when he says, "This is one of those movies that gets better the more you think about it." And I think it'll be one of those movies that you appreciate more upon rewatch. It is a bit of a tough watch for some of the things Kofi outlined. It, it is like. It's it's set up as like three separate timelines with one of those timelines, or I guess two of them, ongoing. And one of those timelines skips years as you go, the, the quote unquote main timeline. And I don't know if that was. I mean, this is like Nolan's thing. Even Batman Begins, you're kind of going a little bit of nonlinear storytelling. But it, I don't know if that was necessary for this film. But th- that's fine. It's some of the things don't work for me. Uh, there's like the main Senate hearing and the whole Robert Denny Jr., who, who by the way, is an even way bigger role than you'd, you'd sus- suspect from the marketing materials. It was nice to see him like get lost into a role that's so different than what we've used to seeing him in, which is wonderful because he's so talented. Um, especially in a cast, which is like, it might be the greatest ensemble of stars ever assembled on screen. Like, I, can't, I literally can't think of something that has more, more talent carrying us through. I think you need to see this in... And on the big screen, when you can, <laughs> and, uh, on your own timeline, because it is a tough watch. It's 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 extremely dialogue driven. It's it's like on on paper, it's very complex. By the way, plot. that was the Robbie Downer Jr. that we met in that Avengers Two press line. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Oh, Those are the days, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of got – so it was the main Senate hearing, but the, the more private hearing with the Jason Clark character, like I, that stuff just didn't sell me. It went on and on and on. I just didn't love it. I didn't think it was – they kept hammering – they kept hammering the point, and I didn't need to see every character get interviewed before the main Senate stuff, and, and I'm getting lost in the weeds here. But like there was some stuff that just did not – you know didn't feel as necessary to what they were trying to tell in the, in the biopic part of it. Even like the weird kind of like jumping to and from the communist party of it all, which is extremely important to include that element in the story because they're, they're questioning his loyalties, right? That's the whole thing. Like does Oppenheimer retain his security clearance is kind of the, one of the big things. And it's, so you have to kind of tell a story and then they kind of jump in and out of his, his, uh, you know, his, his womanizing <laughs> feats um, as well. So it, it just, there's, He's such an interesting real life individual that it's hard to cram into it, whatever three hour film, um, while also making it epic. And that, and the one thing that was kind of jarring though, and if you're going to see this in a premium format screen, 
IMAX or in my case, AVX, where you have like the 13.1, whatever surround sound, stay the fuck away from the first rows because in the middle of like dialogue scenes, you get these like flashes to like these gigantic moments in the score, like his typical inception, burn, you know what I'm talking about? You get a bit of that, but also you get these flashes to like little visuals of like atoms breaking apart or what it would look like during an explosion. And it's so fucking loud. It was crushing my ears. I've never been in pain. I've never felt head or ear pain in a theater before until I saw this film. So <laughs> I know a lot of these movies that Nolan does, like you get lost in the hearing some of the dialogue, especially when Tom Hardy's involved. But I felt a little bit of that in this film when it came to anyone talking in or around these weird cut to atomic visualization. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's a movie that you need to see twice and you have to be patient for because it's a very long movie. There are so many characters and so many scenes. It's a feat to shoot this many different things with, with this many characters and assemble it this way. Uh, this is one of the things Nolan does so well. Not many, or if any other director, I don't, I don't even know if they could do something like this. But um, I think it's pretty good. But to me, it's not, I'm not loving it yet. But the more I think about it, the more I appreciate it because it has so many iconic moments and there's such amazing, amazing performances carrying such challenging scenes, which are just people talking and they do it so fucking well. It's such a wonderful screenplay, you know? Um, so I want to see it again to appreciate it more. Um, but if I were ranking it, I'd probably push it down one or two pegs compared to Kofi's for me, it'd be probably like five or six right now in the, in the Nolan archive. Um, but still, what, what a feat of filmmaking. It's, it's cool to kind of see this and, and uh, this going up against Barbie. So it's just an incredible thing to see. Uh, by the way, the next time we see this happening, we'll be in September when we get Saw Patrol. Paw Patrol, the sequel, is going up against Saw 10. I guess all that <laughs> trending. That's, that's, that's like, you know, you take, you like, kick, you take your kid to the movie, then like send them home with a babysitter. Is that how that works? Yeah, yeah. You go see the Paw Patrol get superpowers, then you go watch Jigsaw suck someone's eyeballs out with tubes. Yeah. <laughs> the um i yeah i'm excited to see this like so if you i mean you guys haven't seen barbie yet but the general consensus is you go see oppenheimer first and then you see barbie as like a cool down is that how you having seen oppenheimer and kind of knowing that's how i planned yes like (laughs) every single one of us because a bunch of us from comic book went to go because we're all in nashville so this is our only market and so, like, from the, anybody in the office here, and we all saw it, and we went outside, and it was, like, a hot, sticky, fucked-up Nashville night. We were all just sitting there, like, damn, I wish we had a ticket for Barbie right now, like, <laughs> for real, like, goddamn, it was, like, down. me, it yeah. was, like, Chris Killian, it was uh, some other people from Comic Book Nation, and it was just, like, fuck, dude, I would go sit happily. I would throw on a pink shirt and go and, like, rock some Barbie out right now because... My soul needs it. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah, uh, that seems to be the general I don't even consensus. know what you're asking. You would be like really hurting yourself to do it the other way around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can appreciate that. I just, you know, I'm Especially sure. Especially if you're getting like a proud woman message from Barbie and then you go see what happens to these poor women in the fucking thirties <laughs> to the fifties in Oppenheimer. Yeah. Who tried to have uh, thoughts and ended up either killing themselves or becoming alcoholics and like, because they had thoughts and it's like, well, I have ideas. Uh, this dame has ideas. <laughs> you know, get, like, get her out of here. Yeah, yeah. Get her out of here. Tell her to build a bomb, you know, live a, like, 
one of the most horrifying parts is like Olivia Thurlby's character trying to like stick up for science and being like, no, I'm going to stay because they're like, you shouldn't be in here. Your, your, your baby making parts might get hurt by the plutonium. And she's like, no, I'm a (laughs) scientist. I'm going to stay. And you're like, no, bitch, run, get out of there. (laughs) Like, you don't know yet. That shit's fucking going to fry your insides. Like, oh yeah, it's nuts. But that's the thing about the movie. And Rob touched on this. And I want to say this because this was another big discussion. Like, this is a movie where like people are doing real acting and like nobody is putting their ego above the role. And like, there are so many name actors in this movie that some of them are just, they're post entirely be like, yo, you know, your boy that you love, who's an up and coming actor was in Oppenheimer. You just didn't notice. Cause he was just one scientist in the background of this scene. And you're like, Oh shit, really? But like, yeah, there's, I mean, Emily Blunt alone, like one of the biggest actresses in the world is in the background for the first act. She's sitting in this room of a hearing, but the camera never focuses on her. So she's just a blurry figure in the background and it's Killian Murphy. And this is the entire first act. And when it finally focuses in, you're like, Oh shit, wait, that was Emily Blunt the whole time. Like not like some secretary. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, they just have her in the background for like the entire first act. And before she like comes out and is like a character or like for a good portion of the first act in like, yeah, this is actually it's actually a question I had for you guys because I was you know I mean like Barbie has a bunch of you know cameos and everything but the, I mean we were talking there are a ton of people like well known people in this movie did you feel like as sort of a historical movie especially that like the amount of famous people was distracting no, I will say. No, I mean, no. some some kind of, but more. I, I was more appreciative of it because I'm like, oh yeah, fucking Gary Oldman came in to do this, and then you have like Dane DeHaan is a bigger role than I thought, and you have Alden Ehrenreich. Aaron Alden Ehrenreich Alden. was the only one I felt was like, I don't want to say out of place, but it felt like, oh, that's Alden being Alden because he plays a kind of a cool character, like one of the more likable characters in the end. Yeah, so but I, I like it. I liked it because I think this was a good role for him, like because yes. people have trouble finding him like likable. And he played like a good, smart ass, like kind of like good character in this. And I felt like oh, this he, was he, the thing he plays that would like a fucking hero like, for the audience. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and, um, and I feel like he'd be like the guy who's like people. This is finally his movie where people are like, oh man, that guy. And like, hey, even though he was Han Solo, and people shat all over him. <laughs> no, nah, like, he deserves more. Actor. He was. He, the kid, also, he was fucking awesome as Solo. They got that all wrong. Mm-hmm. But a- anyways, uh, like there's also like s- small roles. I say small roles, but like you see like Josh Pack and Jack Quaid and kind of like bit parts, and it's like it's kind of nice to see them because they're so they're just so competent, and you can believe them in those kind of roles. So it's nice to see those guys just get a few minutes of screen time. But the bulk of the screen time is like Downey in the one timeline. But it's also it, it's it really is the of course the it's, it's the Killian and fucking Matt Damon show. Awesome. Matt Damon, maybe. Because he keeps like showing up. Every time I see him in anything, I just think of him showing up in Interstellar, and it's like it, that drives me nuts. <laughs> but his uh, character no, here, great. Was, I liked him here, but he reminded me of his character from Thirty Rock. Like, there's a point when he's yelling at somebody, and I just reminded me of him yelling at Liz Lemon on the plane, like, "No, I wanted funny. the shelves to fall. I wanted the things to fall off the shelf." Like, I, he was like on the way there. Pilot. I was gonna say on the plane right back, or the, the way there. I watched Air. So he's playing kind of like a very similar the way he like his mannerisms, the way he speaks, is very similar to his character in Air. So like I, I kind of got lost in that a little bit, but that's that's on me. That's not the movie. But uh. no, who's having like the come quiet comeback of the moment? Also, is uh your boy fucking Josh Harnett 
like oh, between this Netflix and that Black and Mirror. Yeah, yeah, between Black Mirror episode and this, like he got a big role in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, he's now doing good. Like he's going from like crazy pretty boy Zeke and fucking uh, the faculty to like everybody since he is father now and everything I see him in. Good for he's him. He's like, fucking awesome. He's daddy, you know. Still looks great. Um, I will say the one weird one, Ben, is the Casey Affleck showing up because I just the shit he's been involved in. I just it's a little weird, you know. If you want to, yeah. well, I mean, that's that was kind of funny because I was thinking about that too. But I liked him in that role because he's playing a guy who was nuts in real life. Like that guy, Pash, was fucking nuts dude he's also a dick so it makes sense yeah exactly <laughs> like he's not a good guy and he was a fucking lunatic like he was <laughs> yeah, raised yeah. fighting the communists and then like he just came over here but like yeah his job would be like oh he was a good army guy until he had to hump somebody down fucking for possibly being a communist and fucking execute him it's like bro right, right. dude like jesus <laughs> like so <laughs> if you want something creepy you know you get the guy who killed jesse james you know you get the coward robert ford yeah i yeah. i imagine ben is different from barbie where like the cameo show up and you're like yeah it's kind of like a hype moment you're cheering you're kind of They're cameos, for that, yeah. expecting it yeah that's a different different uh delivery now, like i said people talents. go all in and like benny safety is a, like a great standout in this movie like yeah, everybody puts in work in this movie, and even the people in the background are putting in serious work. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You talk background characters. You gave the Emily Blunt example. The other good example in the Robert Downey timeline is David Dasmalchian, who's like in, he's like at the dinner table in the background, slightly out of focus for like every scene. And it's like I love David. That's cool to see. But yeah, uh, there's a lot of that in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. People who you would think would be like in the middle of the camera, like it, it just. Yeah, it, it, it's it's an undertaking, and the fact that it's made with like no CGI, it, it's just and it's still visually arresting and spectacular, and yeah, and some of the motifs they come into are just haunting and stuff like that. So you're never gonna yeah. be able to enjoy a fucking rainy day and look at the ground again after this movie. Oh, Let's Jesus, just put it like yeah. that. <laughs> um. Well. On to, you know, talking about other, like, <laughs> movies movies that have a crap ton of actors in them that are kind of distracting at times. Uh, I mean, yeah, I saw Barbie. You got to lighten our souls now. Come on. Let's talk about Zencaster. Rob, what is Zencaster? Oh, that's a great question, Ben. Zencaster, which we use to record Podcast X currently exclusively in audio form, is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides, as you know from listening, high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce and publish studio quality content all from one dashboard in your browser being a creator like us has never been easier zencaster lets you do everything you need to podcast from recording to publishing all in one place that all is very exciting rob so zencaster if you want to sound your best zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production a frequent problem that we run into is when we come on to this podcast to record, my levels are usually all messed up. 
With Zencaster, we're able to adjust loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a single click of the button. Back when we were recording the Screen Man Underground podcast, this was like a seven-step process for us. While Podcast X currently only has two hosts and one rotating chair as a special guest, Zencaster lets you record up to 11 participants. Think of it. All of Ben's girlfriends in one place. Coordinating all of these guests, 11 participants at once, has never been easier. Just one click. I will say, though, as the person who has to edit this podcast and cut everything together, my favorite part and the thing that saves our ass time and time again is that it's a cloud backup system. So while you're recording, it records backups to the cloud as well as locally, which if you know from listening to the podcast, Kofi unplugs his mic. We've had some issues in the past with Zencaster. Not a problem. To try this yourself, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX and you'll get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. That's Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX. So I saw Barbie, obviously, as a cis white dude, I'm the guy who's totally qualified to talk about the importance of Barbie as a uh, as a film institution. But um, I broadly like I just kind of want to talk about it as in terms of like what I think it succeeds at doing. And like, I don't want to get into too much of like what I think may or may not work. I think for a lot of people who really you know, grew up with Barbies and, uh, you know, especially like young girls who grew up with Barbies and and everything. It, I think in a lot of ways, it kind of gets the main story of Barbie, right? Like this was the approach to this source material that I think, like, I can't imagine any other Barbie movie being better than this because otherwise it would have been more of a straightforward adaptation or it wouldn't have kind of confronted some of the, controversial things in Barbie's past. I think the film does a pretty good job of like kind of hitting both sides of that. It gets a bit lost by the end of it. I think in trying to sort of stick the landing on all of the social commentary that it sort of brings up, like this is a movie that definitely like brings up things like the patriarchy as sort of a joke at times and pokes fun at it. But I don't know that by the end of it, it has said something super profound about that as much as it may want to, or at the very least, I think some people are probably like hoping that it will. I think it does sort of stop short of, of closing out all of these sort of like digs and jokes and, you know, kind of satire that it, that it brings up. But as a story about stereotypical Barbie, which is I think what they call Margot Robbie's Barbie like, I think that character's journey is really, really authentic and lands in a place that is sort of sweet if you if you sort of invest yourself in that character. And then meanwhile, like, you know, you have a lot of very ridiculous, kind of like strangely accurate kind of adaptation of like the the way that Barbies and Kens and stuff were presented to us in the 90s and a lot of like cartoons and advertising and stuff like that just that very i mean you see it in the trailer but it's like a very surreal barbie land is this very like surreal and heightened reality that 
you know, it's all bubbly and it's all just kind of like everybody is like smiling through their teeth and, and everything. It does a really good job at like playing with that in ways that I think are <coughs> like a bit surprising and a bit unique. Um, and it's just fun. I mean, it's fun to see the different Barbies. It's fun to see like their reaction to stereotypical Barbie as she sort of has these realizations and, and the connections that that has to like the real world with like America, uh, America Ferreira's character. It's, it's great. Like there's a lot of, a lot of like really, really, really like fun, fun elements to it. And like I said, I don't feel like I'm ultimately like, you know, the person who's most qualified to talk about this film. So I don't, I don't want to like dig into it a ton, but it does a really good job of kind of, I think bouncing between having something to say and just setting up like ridiculous kind of pairings and fun chemistry between on-screen characters. Like this is a movie that puts like Will Ferrell and Margot Robbie in the same room. And then it puts like Simu Liu and Ryan Gosling kind of as like adversarial Ken's and then Michael Sarah as like Alan, who's this weird <laughs> kind of like little side character that, you know, like kind of hangs out with all the Ken's, but like no one knows where he lives and no one knows like why he's really there. Like, then you have Kate McKinnon, like sharing, you know, screen time with Margot Robbie and America Ferreira. Like those interactions just alone, I think make it a really, really entertaining, entertaining film. And probably about a hundred times better than any Barbie movie, like really deserve to be. But I do think people who have seen Greta Gerwig's filmography might have been expecting like something a little bit more profound out of like some of like dealing with the controversy of of Barbie past, right? Like, you know, what it it there are lines, there's a lot of like kind of tell don't show here. So it, you know, there are lines where someone will be like, you know, well, you as you know, Barbie's like ruined society because like, you know, they set unrealistic expectations on women and Margot Robbie's Barbie is like, she thinks that Barbie's basically made the real world an amazing place. That's what she's been led to believe. And so she has to like bump up against the reality in the real world of people who have a different opinion about that. But by the end of the movie, it's kind of just sort of accepts that's the way things, that's the way things are. And it doesn't necessarily change like anything about the real world or like the Barbies don't really affect the real world in like a meaningful way. So I I do think there's kind of some disconnect there where, you know, the movie that this is probably the movie that Greta Gerwig wanted to make, but I feel like there's a draft of this movie out there where some of these things kind of tether together at the end a little bit more. And maybe it's a little bit more of a political message at the end or something than, than what we kind of get, which, which ends up being a little bit more, it's kind of just, it ends up being about Barbie herself and less about kind of the larger controversies and stuff around Barbie. But can I ask you a question? I don't know if it's yep. spoiler, but did the Barbies just go back to living in, in their, in their Barbie world as normal? You mean like as uh like, the, so the only, so only Barbie and Ken journey to the real world. Right. Everybody else is always in Barbie land. And basically, I mean, without spoiling like a lot, the premise is basically that, you know, Barbie and Ken go to the real world to find out why she's having these thoughts of like death and, you know, and she's being thrown off basically. 
And she goes to the real world and she finds out like the reason why she is being is sort of having this this sort of like, I don't know, midlife crisis sort of. And while they're there, Ken discovers that like the real world is is run by men. And so he comes back to Barbie land and like informs the other Kens that like, you know, they aren't they shouldn't be the subservient. Um, you know, to the Barbies that they should actually be ruling Barbie land. And that kind of sets up like the central kind of conflict that has to be resolved is like, how do the Barbies sort of regain control of Barbie land after they've sort of been like brainwashed by the Kens into thinking that, that like men should rule the world. Like it's very, it is very like, there's a lot going on in the movie. And like, meanwhile, you know, you have Will Ferrell, who's like a, the Mattel CEO and they end up traveling to Barbie land and he sort of shows up in the final act of the movie. And it's sort of like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense why he's even there at that point. So that's why I mean, like by the end of the movie, it, it, it had set up all these like really funny things, but then it kind of doesn't like know what to do with this amazing, massive cast that it has. And so they all kind of end up in Barbie land and it's kind of just sort of like gets resolved. And then there's sort of like kind of a, a resolution to Margot Robbie's character that, I think will mean a lot to people who care about Barbie or cared about their Barbie, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't like change much about the world itself or, any, <laughs> or anything like that, which is, you know, maybe that's like fine, but I think the movie at some time seems to suggest that this Barbie is capable of like reaching into the real world and doing something there. And, and that's not really the case at the end of it. Interesting. I was curious specifically about the Barbie world because, you know, <laughs> this is a Mattel product. They are selling totally all yeah. of these things as Barbies, including the like pink car. And of course, yeah. they're planning Polly Pocket and Hot Wheels, the fucking yeah. Uno movie. So it's like yeah. they can't really, they can't really no. mess with the formula. Yes. No. I mean, by the end of the, by the, there is a very, 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 very like open door, you know, in terms of the logic of the movie to like have Margot Robbie's Barbie, like, you know, show up again and have to save some other kind of have more of the Barbies show up in the real world or have like, you know, a return to Barbie land or something like that. Like yeah. that would be a very, very easy thing at the end of this movie because like the, <laughs> the premise of like how she gets to the real world is basically that there's like a rift between her and the person who's like playing with her in the real world. And that creates like, a rift between the two worlds and allows her and the other people to oh, pass back oh, and geez, forth. That's some, that's some Lego movie shit right there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very, there, there are very like, there are very strong similarities in some ways to like kind of the Lego movie stuff. And, but that is one of the problems of the movie. I think it's like all of that's kind of like waved away with the, you know, like as an explanation, it doesn't really like once you meet the person who is the person that's kind of causing her to have, you know, these doubts and stuff like that and be wondering about death and all these kind of things and have this sort of morbid like <laughs> worldview. It's like, it doesn't really actually, that actually doesn't make sense as a mechanic. And the, the film doesn't care about that, but it's like, you know, there aren't enough Barbies in Barbie land to be being played with by everybody that has a Barbie in the real world and stuff like, so no, it's, no, no, no. so some of that kind of stuff is sort of like, well, what, we're supposed to, the movie kind of pauses that there's like this direct connection, but there's no real way to actually substantiate that. And then if you sort of follow that to some kind of logical conclusion, it, it sort of falls apart. And that's not, ultimately that's what the movie, the movie's not about any of this, right? That's the, that's the thing. It doesn't really care about any of that. 
but it's a little messy for like, you know, it's a little bit messy. Greta Gerwig is usually has kind of a tighter hold on her narrative than this. And I think, and I think that's why some people are kind of disappointed in it that went into it excited and why also simultaneously, you know, people are having like existential like experiences, at the, you know, because they're like, they're crying and, you know, so caught up in it because there is an emotional core to it, but there's also kind of like some of this stuff either works or it doesn't depending on, I think what your expectations are going in the film. But, uh, but it's a, it's an amazing cast though. I mean, you have Kingsley Benadir, which I mean, the whiplash I had from watching him in secret invasion and then seeing him as one of the Ken's in this and like, it's a sex education reunion because Emma Mackey's in it. Connor Swindell's in it. Nagudi Nagatwa, who's the new doctor is in it. Like, it's it's like pretty crazy, like how many people are actually in this movie that, you know, I mean, oh. Alexander Stipps in it, like freaking like Rhea Perlman's in it. It's I mean, there's a ton of people that are in this movie. So uh, I have so many things to say right now. Kingsley also has the trailers for the, his fucking Bob Marley movie coming out. That, that guy's killing yeah. it. Yeah, that I'm excited. Wait, for. that's him. Dude, yeah. that, he yeah, plays yeah, Bob yeah, Marley yeah. and he's fucking awesome in the, in the footage. In the Marley Cinema movie? Club? Yeah, oh my god! Good? Yeah, then now the trailer looks dope. Like it I didn't makes know, up for that secret him. invasion shit. Yeah. Oh um, man, uh, they really <laughs> put a bag on that. Yeah, good for him, man. Good for him. He's talented. Uh, I was gonna make some joke about like fucking. You know, I, I'm more excited about the Mattel Cinematic Universe than I am the Marvel mm-hmm. Cinematic Universe right now. I want to yeah. work for them and have like. Barbie team up with like fucking Bob the Builder and end, you know, they're going to end the matchbox civil war. Yeah. And there's armies of rocket sucking robots and mega blocks toys and shit and Fisher price. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it's at right now. Um, Mattel has the Jurassic park license, I think too. They also have uh, masters of the universe. Like, so they did that master stuff at, at Comic Con. Oh no! The, re- the other thing I was going to say, my, my mind's going. I have so many thoughts now. Uh, Doctor Who, I, you know, I don't know. Watch Doctor Who. I don't know anything about it. But I, yeah. they had a, a big booth as well, and they showed uh, the new sonic screwdriver, which is built from parts of previous Doctors. Yeah, so I appreciate cool. that. And they showed the, yeah. the tenant's new costume with the shoes and stuff. So yeah, um, yeah, I was just give you a shout out because I know you like that. So yeah. I was uh, uh, I was geeking out over the new Sonic Screwdriver, but I mean he's like you know he's a lot of fun in this movie. Like Connor Swindell's plays like who for anybody that's watched Sex Education is like he's like Nikuni got was like boyfriend on that show and is kind of this like repressed like very angry person. <laughs> he plays like a Mattel executive next to Will Ferrell and he's kind of like a, a nice guy in this movie. Like <laughs> it's just you know and like Emma Mackey plays. Like, you know, she's in sex education. She plays like, you know, one of the Barbies in this that that kind of gets brainwashed by the Kens. But there, I mean, when that Snyder cut line that you guys have probably heard of, like drops in this movie, it's like a record skipping because it is so out of place. Like, that's what's so weird about this. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just so weird. Like, it is funny for someone like us because, you know, it's kind of the like the Kens are almost like these incel type you know, like basement trolls by the end of the movie. Like they're just, they're super into like, <laughs> they're super into like horses and like mink coats and shit. Cause they think it's like masculine and everything. And so it's like, yeah, it, it makes sense that these are like, this is the way that, you know, I guess like Warner Bros. is sort of like positing that like internet trolls kind of are these like hollow sort of, you know, toxic masculinity guys and stuff. But 
so that line, it, it kind of like makes sense from the standpoint of, you know, like I think Warner brothers perception of probably that movement, but it's like so out of place. Like it is so out of place. And they the got to stop giving it attention, man. No one gives a that's shit. It. Yeah. It's just that's like, it. it's not, it's not mainstream enough. It's just very weird. Like so, that's, that stuff. It's all just very random and very weird. And it, by the end, it doesn't all, you know, thread together, but, but it, it's really enjoyable. I mean, like, I think you guys will go, you'll have a great time. It's like the perfect movie to take, you know, like your wife to, or your girlfriend or, or even just see, like, I would not be, I would have gone to see uh, this. How still. will mistresses fare? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, what? Yeah, I think so. I think it's fine. I, I got a thing here. Uh, I'm kind of. I, I'm. I have so many different thoughts because I'm like four glasses deep into this wine here. But um, fun fact. So you mentioned there's like this kind of a uh, Simu Liu and Ryan Gosling yes. rivalry of sorts. Yeah. Um, local boys. Ryan Gosling grew up like 10 minutes from where I grew up and fucking <laughs> Simu Leo grew up beside my fucking grandparents. And Michael Sarah also came. He grew up in Brampton like 30 minutes away. Um, did you guys see that red carpet shit? When he <laughs> was trending all over Twitter, not to get into celebrity gossip, but the Ryan Gosling and Simu Liu at the Canadian premiere. Did you see that shit? Where like Simu Liu put his arm like behind Gosling. Gosling like stopped, stared at him, looked down, and he like made him like move his arm. And then Simu Lee was like, what, too, too, too tender? And they kind of like awkwardly both look at the cameras for all the photos. And it blew up all over fucking Twitter. Weird. I don't know if saw that. I yeah, it was super that. fucking awkward. Like, like for Ryan Gosling was being like Don't call me until he spits on him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is this is the modern Chris Pine, Harry Styles, Spitgate, whatever. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was cringe. Simu Liu had kind of made a joke out of it and saying Ryan Gosling's the man, but it was like it blew up over Twitter because it does look awkward as shit. You can just look it up on Twitter. I'll give you guys a link. Yeah. But, uh, I'm like, why are my Canadian boys being all fucking weird? Or why is Gosling yeah. being so weird, I guess? But poor Simu Liu, man. This guy can't get a Shang-Chi sequel. And here he is. Every time I go to the theater, I see him in McDonald's commercials or like Google fucking Pixel commercials. Like he's yeah. just – he like he's really great in it. I mean, that's the thing is like everybody's really great in it. I, will Ferrell's kind of weird in it. I'm I will go on record as saying that. I don't. I mean, Will Ferrell. It's like he's playing a very Will Ferrelly character, but it does feel kind of out of like it feels. It feels like a bit like Will Ferrell's just kind of doing his thing, and yeah. then like it's fun to watch him and Margot Robbie kind of play off each other. But it's well, also just fair. like. He, it's not his fault anybody like hires him to play Lord Business all the time now. Well, that's it. I mean, he definitely. I mean, he is playing basically Lord Business. It's also this, weird because yeah. he played the kind of, that kind of character in Lego Movie, right? He's like yeah, guy. totally. Yeah, it's it's exactly. That, that's what he is. It's like isn't his yeah, name Lord, Lord Business? Not yeah. 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 Holy shit! Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, funny. it's not. It's not like bad. You know, I mean, whatever. It's not. It's not bad, but it's kind of like okay. So this is the scene where. Will Ferrell and a bunch of guys like do something kind of goofy and Margot Robbie has to run away from him. You know, it's like, it looks fun though. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm there's, watch it. there's running. There's, yeah, <laughs> there's running. Yeah. There, but I, I mean, like, you know, I was saying earlier, it's a great movie to take like your significant other to or something like I would have gone and seen this movie by myself and, and, and enjoyed it. If I had seen Oppenheimer well, I'm going to, with sure, a pink so. tea, baby. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. I was saying like when I was at turtles last night, I mean, it's real. Like that Barbie, like there are tons of people dressing up in their pink to go represent for Fuck Barbie. Yeah. Like it's cool to so see. All the sure. theater employees are dressed up in pink. So they're, they're on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to like sound it. like I don't like it. Cause I did really, really like it. Like a, like quite a bit That's actually. Fun. Fun. Yeah. I want to see are John Cena. Like a Transformers three, four or above. What are you thinking? Oh, it's like, yeah, this is a six out of five for sure. Like full, <laughs> full six out of five. 
Is that more CGI in this? If I had to, <laughs> if I had to, you know what is amazing about the movie though is like those sets. The sets are incredible. Like that Barbie Land set is, like it feels like the commercials that we watched as kids, mm-hmm. and. I think I think they nailed that bit of it. I think it's just connecting it all to the real world, and also, I mean, America Ferrara has like an amazing monologue in the movie. Yeah, everyone keeps talking about this monologue. I'm very curious. It's really good. I mean, it's you know, it's dead on. It's really great. It's just like you know about kind of how fucking unfair the world has been to women, and how like you have to be pretty, but you also have to work hard, but you also have to stay home, but you also like it's it's. I mean, it is a great monologue. Man, it's it, my life with me. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, yeah I mean, shit I, doesn't make any sense anymore. I'm getting offended by this. Like all of the shit people keep saying, I look at my wife every day. I'm like, this is me. Like I stay home and crock pot food and take care of our kids. Like I did. Yeah, I gotta, come. I gotta be pretty and earn money and do all this stuff and be yeah. on camera. Like <laughs> you're what? the real Barbie Kofi. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're we're I mean, definitely I the guess. victims here for sure. I'd yeah. buy you action figure. I guess, but you know, the world puts pressure, blah, blah, blah. Oh, like, shit. That, that's something they were doing at Comic-Con. I, I, I got fucked by the line. But they're doing like um, – Hasbro has like this selfie thing. It's been doing it for years, right? We have your own face imprinted on a figure of your choice. Well, they've like they've upgraded that significantly. So now you can have like bearded textures and proper hair and all this kind of stuff. And they set me up for an appointment, but I kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. But I was hoping to make myself a sweet-ass Best Avenger Hawkeye figure. We should all make our own fucking figures, man. That'd be sweet. But yeah. – um, Anyways, oh, that would have been fun. I'd buy Kofi's figure. Is what I was trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Well, I would collect the whole set for sure. Fuck yeah! You get a little build a figure in there. It'll be yeah. A, I think Co- <laughs> Kofi's figure comes <laughs> with a silver. No, no, no! Shut up! Shut up! Fucking variants! I can't. <laughs> no, no, no! We're not done yet. Okay. Kofi's figure comes with a silver platter, and you open it up, and it's like fucking little plastic shits on there. You know what I'm talking about? It's got a Green Lantern <laughs> ring on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, um, yeah. fuck. Okay, yo, Kofi. So you went and saw Haunted Mansion. I I saw that shit. What did you think? It's harmless. It's silly. Yeah. It's the cast is. It's mainly just the cast riffing. And if you want to go see yeah. it, the main draw is the cast. It's not very. They didn't. They kind of pussied out on the spooking the kids part. They didn't go full Amblin on it. I wish they had yeah. because I went to it because I was like, yeah, kids do need to be scared more. And I was gonna do like a whole angle on why kids need to be like scared more but it's just more <laughs> like, goofy because yeah, i mean i'm I, a big believer like we got we had to watch like i rewatched goonies with my kids the other day it was on cable and i would like put it on and i was re-watching with them and i was like and they weren't scared by it at all they were fine and like we were watched together but i was like man now that i'm a parent like you know you you look at things way different now as a parent you have to assess everything and like yeah, is this totally. appropriate is should my kid be doing this and all that and you're like, Goonies has a lot of messed up stuff in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's like they make jokes about this killer homicidal family that's like hunting these kids down. And, you know, they're disfigured older sibling and like all of it's just even the disfigurement stuff is not even as bad as just like these are murderers. And like there's even suggestions they're like maybe cannibals or pederasts or it's like there's a whole bunch of weird stuff with that. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this shit was way different back then. But I was like, kids need to be scared. They need to know you could go down the tunnels and homicidal murders may need be on your tail. Like, and you got to be prepared for that. But um, yeah, yeah, Haunted Mansion doesn't go full scare. It's mostly like comedic riffing, but um, the cast is good. Like, you know, Lakeith Stanfield is a good actor and can yeah, carry something. 
He's great um, enough, for sure. Yeah. yeah and yeah, what, what are we going to do? Hate Rosario Dawson ever? No. Yeah. So yeah. like, yeah. that's fine. Tiffany Haddish is funny. Uh, Owen Wilson's really funny in this. Um, yeah. He plays like a really good character using his Owen Wilson-ness and kind of a, and Danny DeVito just shows up to choose scenery in the best way. And if yeah, fan, I mean, it's Danny funny, DeVito like, gets you know, like, yeah, he gets like lifted up in the air by a ghost and like held in yeah. the air. And it's like ridiculous looking. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like harmlessly funny and like kind of like fun. But um, yeah, yeah. You should, I mean, but I think it's like also like something you can see on Disney Plus. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to see it. I mean, in theater, it's like, well, I mean, not that there's not. Any. Not during Barbie and Heimer weekend. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, time, uh, again, it's timing. And this is where we can talk about Mission Impossible. Yeah, the I timing, do want to talk about like, that. We're, we're learning this summer because this was the summer and I've been going back to this over and over again where during the pandemic, like they said, like it would be we were like when it really all shut down, everybody like real analysts were like, oh, fuck, it's going to be like 2023 before shit ever get, comes back to being like comes back to being like anything. And so like, yeah, we all didn't want to hear it at the time. We're like, no, we'll figure out a way we'll do streaming at home. We'll do all this shit. And it was like, yeah, we could. But like at the end of the day, it really was 2023 was like when this all came back, but we're finding out like this year that like, yeah, definitely like supply is way over demand and like we yeah. keep having these packed periods of releasing so many movies back to back that people just can't. And, and we're just realizing now, like we're reassessing like how much demand there is for movies. Like we're going back to the nineties guys. Like I've been saying this and saying this and saying this, but if you were in the nineties, like there were three movies that opened in summer, you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> four they were in there for like, yeah, 10 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And you eventually went down to your theater, like opening weekend. None of us were all crazy about opening weekends. Like we went when we went and we went and saw the theater, maybe week two, week three or whatever. But then you went back and saw it maybe a couple times. And like, that was the movie that was playing and you saw it a couple times. And then voila, after 10 weeks, there'd be new movies coming out. Right. And, yeah. and that's the system we had. And I feel like that's what we're going back to. Like, of course, not like going to see it a couple of times. You go see a movie once now and then two weeks later it's on streaming. But like people aren't caring about opening weekends so much anymore. In fact, they might want to avoid that. They there's a lot of people who are trying to get that third, fourth week like screening in because people go, oh, yeah, I get around to it or word of mouth and or buzz or social media is sustained. It's not even like for a week going in. People are not believing hype. Like, if people are still talking about Barbie two weeks later, then people are like, yeah, there's a whole new wave of people that come out. And they're like, yeah, I want to go see that Barbie movie now. And, like, that's what we're doing. So, yeah, you can't release too much. And if you release too much, that gets eaten up by other stuff. You, you can't bank on that first week, second week, and we made all our money shit anymore. You can't do that. Yeah. And it's ironic because... I think Top Gun Maverick was a movie that really solidified that when we look back at it now. Like that movie hung around in theaters for a long time and, and it was word of mouth and people going and being like, and that's a movie that got people back into theaters. Yeah, you got to see it in a theater. Like that's what the, yeah. that's what people were. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. It lives up to Top Gun. You got to see it in a the theater. You got to go. You got to see it with a crowd. And like, and they did that. But, now you get to Mission Impossible, and it's like everybody thought Tom Cruise would have this perfect like one two with these two movies, 
And I don't think anything's wrong with Mission Impossible. It's a Mission Impossible movie. People always love that stuff as like a movie theater spectacle. But again, it's timing. Like, I think Mission Impossible <sighs> just came out before Barbenheimer weekend. And after, like, what was the big shit? Like, all the June fucking clusterfuck of shit that was too close yeah. together. Yeah. And so people are still just sorting out whether they're going to see their Transformers from their Flashes, from their Fast and Furiouses, from their Indiana Joneses, right? Like, and so, like, nobody. And so people went and saw Indiana Jones. Everybody missed the Flash. Like, here's how it worked out. People saw Fast X or into yeah, they're in Spider-Verse or Little Mermaid. And then yeah, they skipped the rest of that shit. And okay. then, like, yeah, Transformers, The Flash. Then they came back and they were like, oh, let's see this Indiana Jones thing. And it slowly but surely has been making its money and getting its money internationally. And, like, people went to see Indiana Jones. Then Mission Impossible comes out right after that. People are like, I'm not going back to the fucking movie theater yet because I'm saving my money for Barbenheimer. Barbie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And it's like, and so Mission Impossible hit that time slot where people are fucking recharging and stacking their money again. And it got fucked. And it's just like, you've now the name of the game is really release date, what's in proximity to you, and getting that lengthier window of time. And so they need to start fucking looking at the calendar again and being like, okay, well, we're not going to say summer is like this concentrated period. Like all year is the game. Okay. Yeah. We need content all year. Start spreading this shit out. Make it so that like every three weeks or two to three weeks, we get a literal like new movie event like coming, but it's spread out enough that like, or once a month and like just chill with this shit. Yeah, we've I mean, that's... had we've gone through the years. We've done it, guys. We've pumped ourselves so full of content we could never want for content after having no content. And each problem is the same for different reasons, right? Like yeah. when we had no content during the pandemic was just as problematic as when we've had too much content in the last year. Like too much Marvel fucking TV streaming content, too much movie content. Now this year, like it's you got to get the balance in the middle and stretch the shit out. Yeah. I think, I mean, when people hear that, like I saw Jurassic park 12 times in theaters or I saw Batman <laughs> 1989 in theaters, people in are the always 90s. like, how? Yeah, yeah. It's like, how did you do that? And it's like, well, it was there for three months. And so like, yeah, like, you know, I went with my mom and then my mom and I went a couple, you know, a month later, cause there wasn't anything we want to see a movie. And like, it, it does seem like, like, I, I mean, I have a new appreciation for this now that I have a kid, like, you know, if my wife and I plus my kid would go to a movie and I know you guys are already in this phase, it's like, you know, that's a hundred bucks, right? Like between popcorn and tickets and whatever, like who are these people that are able to now afford like going to see everybody? Like when we were in the late, you know, the mid two thousands and stuff like that, you could go in there, you get in, you get out for like 25 bucks, you get your popcorn, you get your ticket, you're single. Like there's all these big movies coming out. Like, I get that. I just don't think that world exists anymore. I don't think well, people are no. like... No, if you love... If, okay, well, different things. Going out for an event or date or friends is very different, right? Totally. There's also, sure. other options for that. But if you're just watching content, there's fucking a million things dropping every six weeks yeah, on every exactly. streaming service. And, yeah. and it all, most of that is better than what you're seeing in theaters, right? Yeah, so, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, The Witcher, like, you know, I mean. Well, not The Witcher, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Foundation and Apple, Star Trek, you know. Yes, yes. Uh, Silo, yes, yeah, yeah. For the sure. Bear and Dave yeah. and FX, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, I think, like, and I don't know if I've said it here, but I've said it other places, but I think it's just clear that right now movies have become like, like the music industry, which is like, yeah, you yeah. don't, you don't go like, Hey, I'm going to go to my local amphitheater every fucking weekend and just see what's there. Right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you look at a schedule and you go, Oh, this year I would love to go see Drake and this old band that's touring yeah. again. And this new festival that, or this festival that's happening and this, and that's about all the money I'm going to have for this year. But I want to go see these four or five concerts for sure over the yeah. course of the year. And that's kind of like what movies are like now. They're like such because of the price point, like you said, they're now become such events that like people look at them and are starting to mold their minds just like concerts. Like, let me see the whole movie slate. Okay, I'm going to do these five this year. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really fucking interesting, too, because like next year, just like you were saying with the SAG stuff. Like there aren't going to be any movies <laughs> and we're going to be like, we're going to be in this weird spot where it's like, you could have definitely saved some of these fucking things for next year. You and know like what though? Would've... Like I, 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 that's good though. Cause th- this year and again, I'm bringing this up for the fifth time on this podcast, but like when we did our most anticipated films of 2023, this, there's so many fucking movies, so many sequels to on, on paper, gigantic franchises and there's no room for them. And you guys are talking about like release dates for mission impossible, really hurting it. But it's like, now, because of the Oppenheimer of it all, I just saw while we were recording, like their IMAX CEO was talking about giving Mission Impossible a new run, starting yeah, fresh I mean, in IMAX because it didn't have space. Because, because yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 that same can happen for any of these franchises. Look at fucking Elemental. People said it's a bomb, and then it's been crushing ever since. It's yeah. it's closing it's closing in a four hundred million for an original IP based on nothing and no toy lines. And Pixar is making bank on that. Good yeah. for them. You know what I mean? I'd rather see that than fucking Lightyear. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, um, for sure. I think this is an opportunity to slow the fuck down because every week we're getting one or two big budget box office bombs. Spread them out. You can re-release a lot yeah. of franchise films. And when Dune 2 comes out, maybe there's space we can do Dune 1 again. You know what I mean? If a lot of these films in, in, in the winter get delayed, right? There's talk about Aquaman being delayed and Disney uh, – I don't know what I forget what it's called. What's the Kenneth Branagh film, the third mystery film when he plays fucking you know? Oh the yeah, mustache. The, yeah, yeah. That yeah. film only works because it's based on an ensemble of A list talent, like Michelle Yeoh's in that. It's fucking awesome, right? But you can only sell it if you have talent. Same with the Marvels. Like Marvel Cinematic Universe is like eating shit. It's so bad right now. And the Marvels, the trailers look like hot garbo. They cannot market that without getting Iman Vellani on every fucking talk show in the world because she's the heart of that fucking movie. So if they yeah. get on, if the sack strike's still going on, they're probably going to delay that, delay that too, right? They cannot have that come out and make three hundred million when the first one made a billion. It would just crush the MCU. So yeah, yeah if anything, it just means like just space it. But out, they can't man. delay that. If they delay that, the MCU is basically over. I'd rather them delay it than drop it and have it fucking bomb. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. But then again, if, if it's delay shit, that, it's shit, you know. They delay that the MCU. Who cares? Are you excited to see that though? I fucking I mean, uh, is, is it the big follow-up to Secret Invasion, which no one watches and has the worst reviews in the MCU? Like, who the fuck cares? I'm not excited to see any of this shit anymore. No, it's it's, it's fucking. The only thing I'm excited about, weirdly, is Deadpool three. Yeah, it's I mean, that's, the X-Men. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not saving yeah. the X Men. I, I, I'm like, I'm so over the Marvel Cinematic Universe and getting my 
like in getting all like aroused because we have some fucking comic book nerd development. Like it just all kind of felt hollow at this point. Like of Endgame, I don't, I don't ever think it's going to get better than Endgame. And seeing I, that whole thing, yeah. Sure. I, it's just, well, yeah, I it's, it, it's a plan. I think like just Deadpool three. I just want to see Hugh Jackman and Mo- and Ryan Reynolds kind of like riffing with each other. Like, yeah. That's uh, like, I, I, yeah, that's what I'm like into. I just want to see actors acting with each other now, Oppenheimer style. They they just got to do X Men and Fantastic Four and the reset with Secret Wars and like fuck all yeah, this multiverse and scrolls shit. I, I wrote a whole article about this, but yeah, we need new blood and shit needs to clearly be connecting again. Like that was what made your franchise distinct. You have sex. Yeah, and if you're gonna drop thing. something, it has to be important and and quality. Like you in, in this day and age with so many films coming out, so many like. Fucking banger streaming shows releasing across like fucking ten platforms. You cannot drop. And I always say this: Disney Plus is always six and seven out of ten type Star Wars and Marvel shows. But Secret Invasion, they're just dropping it even further. And it's like fuck that. I'd rather that shit not exist than come out and burn these actors, burn these budgets, burn this IP. It's it's fucking stupid. Uh, we can have a whole podcast about how fucking stupid Secret Invasion was, but. Um, Man, see, yeah, what a uh, absolute colossal waste of a lot of Shit, people's time on that. I, I'm getting heated on Twitter. People are defending it, saying, "Oh, I gotta give him a break. It's it's the it's the COVID, and they're they're, they're the guy. The, the Disney knows they're doing too much." I'm like, "Fuck you! Go to Apple and watch Foundation. They filmed that at the exact same time for a quarter of the budget. How the fuck is that great? And this is shit." They have 15 years of experience and a $212 million budget with one of the greatest fucking casts ever assembled in Disney Plus, and they drop that shit. No, there's yeah. a bigger problem up top and with all those writers. That is not fucking COVID or budget or Disney. That is fucking bad storytelling when all the other streamers are dropping bangers. So fuck that franchise. They have to reset. I cannot believe after all these years, they're just dropping the ball so hard on on, on the MCU. And, and a lot yeah. of people are saying they should do Secret Wars as like an Avengers film. I'm like, fuck that. Nobody wants to see shape-shifting scrolls. In a $300 million movie. No one cares. That's not exciting. Unless you have a really chess game idea for it. With everybody involved, maybe. But in the middle of the multiverse? What are we doing? Yeah, if you have the Captain America Winter Soldier and the way that that affects the MCU, that's the kind of thing they need at this point. They need something that's going to actually shake it up. And... They're just like not doing that kind of stuff anymore. Like they just straight up are not taking risks like that. Yeah, there's a couple things that have gone on. I mean, like we all thought in phase four they were gonna like make clear lanes of like genre. Like we all yeah. thought there would be like a sci-fi cosmic, cosmic side yeah, and an yeah. earthbound kind of like grounded side and a supernatural side and a young YA side for the kind of formation of the young Avengers. And it's like none of this shit is like separated there's just like no actual interconnectivity to invest in at this point yeah and it's just it's it's really berserk like how this is all just like going down and how this franchise is just kind of like blowing the bag when do you think like like, i mean you get you said i mean we could probably do a whole podcast about this but like at what point is like kevin feige actually like kind of in trouble here is he already in trouble? If they delay the Marvels, I said, if they delay yeah, the Marvels, it. the MCU is basically over. We've gone too many years with shit that doesn't connect. It's all just kind of a fucking potluck dinner of, of goddamn films and TV shows everywhere. As Rob said, like, rarely, if ever, is any of it actually, like, 
10 out of 10 worthy shit. Like, it's all a bunch of bullshit for the most part. And it's just like, yeah, you're burning out the entire idea of franchise universes in none of this multiverse shit. Like, in the big hook for all of this multiverse shit like that we were counting on is no longer, and I keep saying this, and I don't know if anybody's listening, but, like, is no longer even a hook. Like, this whole idea that we could get like we're getting Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck in Deadpool three, right? Like, yeah. But we know that ahead of time, and who the fuck really cares, right? I mean, <laughs> it's not going to be a thrill to see these people from a movie we hated show up in this new movie for like all of a second to do something that's not going to really matter because they're not bringing their Electra and Daredevil back to the MCU, like. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a one-off, and like the whole like novelty of having these cameos is just quickly worn off because I mean, not just because of Marvel, but just because of people like DC. Like the Flash burned through so much of my good graces of wanting to see this shit. Yeah. Uh, what about Channing Tatum uh, Gambit? Who? You guys mentioned him. I was away. No. No, we no. didn't talk about that. Oh, okay, yeah. There's a rumor about him coming back too, or not coming back, oh, getting a start. Jesus. I should say. I mean, they would be absolutely stupid if they don't do that. I mean, that's like, that's like, why wouldn't they do? Yeah, I mean, whatever. You know, they will. I'm sure. It's just like like Kobe said. Who the fuck cares? Like we've seen this ten times. Like the only thing that matters is if it's fucking awesome. If it's not, cancel the project. No one has time for this shit anymore, yeah. right? So obviously, we're too late for that. But can we go back yeah. to Mission Impossible for a second? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I know we're talking about the release dates of it all, but here's my hot take. So I, I've always said Mission Impossible is the greatest ongoing franchise because they don't miss. I mean, Mission Impossible 2 is you know, whatever. It's, it's my least favorite of the bunch. But this franchise was riding the ultimate high, and then you have the top gun of it all propelling it. The reason that partly I think why Mission Impossible 7 didn't hit is because it's not very good. This is not a movie I go see in theater. I'm like, oh, yeah, you have to go see this in theater. I didn't think that. I thought the movie was fucking too long. I thought it was boring. I thought the villain was stupid. I thought the idea of fighting AI is like just like overdone. It's like in the big action sequences. And for, by the way, from a technical standpoint, incredible stunts. Obviously, there's. I know Ben has probably thought everyone's talked about this, but the Uncharted two of it all. Yeah, the, the train hanging. Dope, yeah. But before that, there's 45 minutes of running inside and outside of trains. Who the fuck cares? And while Haley Atwell is an amazing addition, she's finally getting her spotlight. 10 years too late. Where the fuck is Paula Patton from Mission Impossible 4? Where's Jeremy Renner's character from, from 5 and 6? It's like, they're just like, like bringing, you know what I mean? Like the, the last movie follow, if that came out at the same time as this one, it would have crushed because the trailers for that were fucking awesome. You had Henry Cavill playing a really cool character and a cool villain. And the set pieces were, were, were felt new and different. A train fight doesn't feel that awesome. And like AI villain and this guy who has, they don't explain why he's connected to this AI or, or the, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. this movie was like boring. Like it, yeah. Yeah, it's boring from a relativity perspective on its own. It's fucking incredible. I think it's a technical. That's aspect, just what the entity wants you to think. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, they, they fucked the franchise. Like now they, they have the lowest box office ever for this IP again, relative to the year and, and you know, uh, inflation. And they're going into the big budget, like two part, and also doing it two parts was a huge fucking bad move. So, they, Did they shoot those back to back? Kind of. It all got fucked with COVID, but yes, they've been shooting it ongoing. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Two is mostly, it's in the can. They just got to, you know, do all the craziness. Yeah. But 
But they, they, this was the best, the hugest thing they had going. They fucked it with like a stupid, like guys, when you think of giant seventh movie, the franchise, what are we going to do? Uh, let's have them fight on top of a train. What? I've seen that in a hundred other movies. Do, do something Mission different Impossible with Tom Cruise. One. Yes. Yeah. With a helicopter <laughs> going in a tunnel in 1994. I'm glad you guys like, said that because I actually did have that thought when I was watching it where it was like, you know, like we're back where we started <laughs> with like it, that's not exciting. The train and stuff like that is uh, it, so I, selling, yeah, I liked, it, point, yeah, I liked sorry, it a lot. Right. I liked it a lot more than you, but I and I do think like there are sequences in that film that are that are worth seeing in a theater. But I, I do agree with some of what you're but, but, but I have a question for you, Ben. Like, I, I'm thinking about it more and more as I think about, I mean, there's so many movies coming out now. I'm thinking about all yeah. of them. I also, I want to have another discussion of Transformers one time with you guys, but on, on this one. Like, what is the fucking motivating thing? It's like they're looking for these keys. They don't explain where the keys came from. Like, they show the submarine and the, and the, and the guy with the key on him, but they never explain how he like, got the key. They never yeah. explain who this villain is. They never explain how the villain got the key from the fucking frozen people on the ice. It's like, what? Okay, fine. So they're just running from place to place to place. And by the way, behind it all, you have like the scene where Tom Cruise puts on the mask. That's the weird looking dude, and all the leaders are there, and Kittredge or whatever the fuck is there. It, the dialogue is so terrible. Each character says like one word and they go from character to character to finish the sentence. It's like they fucked up the behind the scenes espionage, like political intrigue of it all. The action scenes are kind of like a little bit of been there, done that, even though they invested so much to these giant set pieces and they extended it out. Like what should have been a 10, 15 minute banger scene becomes a 45 minute act of a film, which is only part one of a two film saga. It's like just, don't blame COVID. That's just not good planning. Like that, that's not – these two-part films don't work in this era. So stop doing that and and you got to do something new and big. Tom Cruise will go to space and fucking fist fight aliens if you had to and you have him run on a train again. It's just it's just a weird decision. So from a marketing standpoint, it just felt boring and it felt like a step down compared to Fallout and it, compared to like – Oppenheimer, Barbie, and what else is these new and different things that are coming out. So yeah. my, I, I think it's failing because when I go see this movie, I told fucking no one to go see it. I said, wait. Whereas when Fallout came out, I said, I'm going to go see this again. This is the best movie of the year, right? Yeah. Um, that's why, despite the Rotten Tomatoes 90, whatever the fuck percent, it's not a great Mission Impossible film from the very, very high bar those films set. So for me, it's like down there with Mission Impossible too. So that Henry, there you go. yeah, that Henry Cavill comment is, is I think true. I mean, that trailer like where he's like reload. I mean, that's still like this iconic. Fuck yeah, reloads his fucking arm. It's yeah. every set piece. Like yeah. the, the, the skydive, the zero this skydive, club fight. It's just a beautiful movie. This one's not. Nah, I put this. I rewatched them all before this. I put, I put Fallout in this, in the same kind of middling position, except Fallout's yeah. above this. I would put Fallout above this. Um, What's your number one? I think for me, Rogue Nation is still my number one. Mm, I think okay. Rogue Nation is. Yeah. I think Rogue Nation has a ton of not just action stunts, but just like smart set pieces. And it was the one where we got the coolest concept, which was there was this anti IMF, and you got the franchise's yeah. only real good. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman was really good, but like he was great, real good kind of franchise villain in Solomon Lane which was dope. And so I liked everything about that. And the motorcycle scene is awesome. And that I like the opera scene, which was again, not a huge action thing, but just like the setup of trying to protect this chancellor and like how many assassins are in the room and 
fighting on these raised platforms and the beginning with Tom Cruise hanging off the plane was classic, right? That's where he was really just, I mean, these stunts were starting to get stupid, but uh, in a fun way. The underwater scene I like with the the whole tension of him drowning and there's a lot in Rogue Nation I like and I like that Rogue Nation actually is the one movie that ends by not trying to go bigger but having this kind of street foot race where they outwit the bad guy. I like that kind of twist to it where they're just running around a street fighting these two guys and they outwit Solomon Lane and just put him in a box and don't kill him. So um, that's my favorite. Uh, then Ghost Protocol, then Mission Impossible 1, then Fallout, then Dead Reckoning, then 3, then 2. Did I miss anything? I don't think I missed anything. Nope, that's them all. Yeah. That was pretty good. And three because I, three I, cannot remember. You, I mean, you said you rewatched. I have them. not rewatched them at all recently. Yeah. So you no, I rewatched all of them. I've seen one, ones on Pluto like every night. So if you have Pluto TV, mm-hmm. also by Paramount, you should check that out and uh, on action movies because one is so different with Brian De Palma and like that whole thing. But it was uh, yeah, one was pretty fucking special. So ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and For but sure. awesome train scene. But uh, yeah, yeah, man, it was like watching the Lost World with people. It was great. Do you remember, sorry, not to keep ragging on Mission Impossible 7, how long this fucking airport sequence is when they're just going back and forth? I was about to like, say, though, I liked I liked the so airport sequence. Bomb. It's like, it's like I, I don't know, it just feels like it all amounted to nothing. It's just it's just weird. I felt like they're just like stalling. Um, to I like the along. airport sequence. Yeah, I could see that, though. I mean, there is a lot of kind but, of, there's a lot going uh, on in that scene, for sure. But I think you're harsh on it because I think this movie got fucked by the world. Like, like Yeah, maybe, fucked. but... Dude, are you I just love me? Mission Impossible What's so much. I, I, I watched this and I was boring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Like I was <laughs> just like making jokes that like Christopher McQuarrie and, and like Tom Cruise were fucking screaming into a pillow because they were just trying to get this movie out, and then the Titan submarine fucking collapsed and everybody died, and then it was they the most entertaining. <laughs> yeah, but that scene was cool. Like I love that yeah. green intro. Oh, the like beginning the of this was great. But again, it's just like COVID, I think, changed a lot of this. AI, the rise of AI. I know this movie had to go through some fucking rewrites, and they were just like, what yeah, the yeah. fuck, man? But no, yeah. I mean, I think the kind of the, the problem at the core of it is this is Mission Impossible, not Terminator. And like, yeah, we don't go to we go to watch spies fight other spies, not like the amount it's of times. And you'll see uh, it in the honest yeah. in the honest trailer for this movie when it finally comes out. But like. The amount of times these motherfuckers say the word the entity in this movie is just like <laughs> is a crime yeah. in and of itself. It's just like stop saying the entity. Like you can't yeah, attach that. Right. And again, like the kind of like Rob kind of alluded to the kind of confusion of Christopher Macquarie of like, do you want to build like a larger continuity to this franchise or is this just sitcom TV style like? you know, every, every new installment, Ethan Hunt's doing some new shit and like, okay, then we can let go of Paula Patton's character and like her being like, I'm with you always, whenever you call me Ethan and we never see her again. Right. Um, it's just like, we can let all that go if it's just the sitcom shit. But this movie date makes the bold move of being like, you know, we're going to go back to Ethan's, beginnings and i thought that shit was just like the dumbest shit yeah like, what the fuck is just, that so that i mean they're just like because they, they don't explain like, it we don't know who the woman yeah. is right like, we, we don't know who the villain is yeah like, and this gabriel guy dumb. like had we've watched seven films and like now you want me to care in the seventh one it's like no at this huge point, error Ethan hunt 
Ethan Hunt is Tom Cruise. There's no reason to like know Ethan Hunt's personal pain because <laughs> you've never made this character have emotions. Like, yeah. He barely ever kissed anybody. Like he doesn't do anything. He just does missions, right? Like that's what he is. He's a human mission completer. Well, that's what's like, weird about this movie too. Is like you're supposed to see that there's this woman in his past that was killed, that he cared about, and there's this kind of like overarching story of like how all the women that are close to anybody he cares about always dies, and then someone dies in the film he cares about, and then they're just like now there's another woman that he's like also cares about. It's it's kind of like what the fuck are we? You know, I understand we're introducing Haley Atwell here, who is great in the movie. Like, I would almost rather, it, it, to some extent, here, like this, just like spin off with her and like give Tom Cruise a break for. Or a bit if or they something. had just it's done like the regular Mission Impossible shit, like if she had just been in the movie and we didn't have to worry about Ilsa Faust, and Ilsa Faust was okay, just off doing her thing and back in the espionage world, then we didn't have to yeah. do that. But like yeah. bringing back Ilsa Faust and like killing her was like, first of all, like. Jesus Christ, but at this point, I was coming to see her, like, just as much as I was coming to see Ethan Hunt, like... Yeah, for sure. Well, especially after, like, Silo and shit, too? Like, I mean, yeah. she's, like, she's having a moment. Like, that's... It's so weird to... I don't know. And to do a fake-out with her death twice in the film. That is so weird. fucked, too. Yeah, I've seen theories, too, that she's still alive and stuff, and it's like... Yeah, I, I have a theory still... that that's true, but, like, that's yeah. not... That's dumb, though, better. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, if they killed her twice and she didn't actually die in that movie, it's like, I'd be happy for her to come back, but now we're in, like, Fast and Furious territory, right? Where it's like... Well, that's the key. Death doesn't, doesn't get matter. It. Like, yeah. the entity can't... The entity yeah, is yeah, yeah, inhumane yeah. to know what the difference is between life and real life and death, and yeah, it can predict anything except... Oh, my God. <laughs> we hate the next movie already. Rob, Jeez. Rob but it can't predict... Anymore. When it doesn't know how to predict if somebody's <laughs> alive or dead, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I just lost the motivation for everyone in this film, and they just felt and, so just I mean, dragging. Listen, it, it would be kind of a full circle. There's a lot they're kind of like trying to play with with full circle in this. And at the very least, it would be funny if because faking a death was like what the first film hinged on, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Totally. And so. If they do it's that, John again, Voight. That, yeah. Oh no, I want John Voight to be at the heart of this. No, I mean, the rest of us is the AI. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh, he's going full Arnim Zola. Yeah. Oh my God. You left um, Ethan. Yeah, He's I mean, <laughs> we've been like largely negative about this, but Ethan. that uh, that that like chase scene is pretty freaking dope. Though that puts that Fast and Furious ball bullshit to shame, though, in my opinion. Oh, totally. You mean I the mean, car thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the driving like that, with the handcuffs was dope. That was yeah, sweet. I mean that was just really fun. And, and Shay Wiggum and and uh, what's his face from fucking <laughs> Top Gun? So great, like yeah, they're yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I thought like I thought you know, and like Palm doing her thing. Like I'm excited. Oh, Palm Clementoff is a fucking star, yeah. dude. I told you guys that shit yeah. since we did the old you boy did. interviews. Oh, you always and, knew, man. You were one of the first to talk to her. Yeah, yeah. and all and that she had no media training. And holy shit, that lady <laughs> <Yes>. was wild. <laughs> I just remember like being so like simultaneously attracted to this woman, like and scared of for my life during that comic con because she like would just make idle conversation. And I was just like, first of all, you look so like Palm Klementov. I know you've everybody's seen her like in the Mantis ship, but like in real life, she is hot as fuck. Like she yeah, is a very attractive yeah. woman. And like, 
Yeah, and she was just so like childlike mantis like and like never done an interview. And the stories she told us about her life were just still haunt me to this day. Like, oh my god, that lady has had like a crazy life. But yeah, I just knew she was gonna be a star because she was just saying stuff to us, and I was just like, You you're not intentionally like trying to be funny or even grandiose, but I was like, You have no idea how funny you are, like, and just yeah. how like cute and charming and like hilarious what you saying is like unintentionally yeah but, uh yeah she's great in this movie her her ending is really interesting because they can theoretically bring her back they are the bringing team. her back yeah i would suspect not. so but they gotta bring back the others too because this franchise is so well known for bringing everybody back so i would really hope to see you know i say that yeah no I'll we need paula patton we need paula and jeremy back yeah we the yeah, I mean, I assume like by the end of this, she has she is part of like Haley Atwell's like team, right? Like that's the whole thing is like you build your family, I, and you build your like the team Atwell enlisting thing is weird because she's a thief, but she's not like yeah deep cover assassin, stunt spectacular type character. It, yeah. It's weird to force her in given everything else is going on in this IP, but um, I think she should definitely be part of the team though. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, it's interesting, like. Elsa. You, yeah, no, no fuck. yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, I mean, she's she's great. That whole chase is just awesome. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I was more hyped. I enjoyed it, but I do understand a lot of your frustrations with it, Rob. I'm not like. I feel like you still have to see it on a big screen. Though. Like, you can't watch this movie at home. Yeah, I mean, they put so much work in these practical things. It's a type of movie making you just don't see these days. Um, yeah, it needs to be appreciated for that. I mean, there's a reason it has quality reviews. It's still worth yeah. seeing. It's just, to me, it was just a massive disappointment in an era where there's so much competition, right? Yeah. And it just felt like, to me, the more I think about it, it just feels like a step down. And it feels like, you guys ever see the, the fourth Born movie when Matt Damon came back? It just felt like, yeah, fifth, yeah, yeah, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. It just felt like, oh, what? I mean, you know what I mean? Nowhere, far superior than Born, than that fifth Born, but yeah. still, it just felt like disappointing to me boring and weird and incomplete and uh, i'm bored of these covid excuses when there are other films coming out a week later that are just so much better right so um, i forgot hannah waddingham is going to be in that sequel um yeah the yeah, yeah. do we know what the big dumb fucking stunt is going to be for this one well the, the, it's the biplane mm-hmm. airplane thing i mean the, the, they're using analog air technology right so they're using that we, we saw them shoot it when they were doing those cinemacon videos of them Doing the crazy airplane stunts, so that's one okay. big stunt. Yeah, there's uh, there's apparently gonna be a underwater stunt that like makes Mission Impossible Five look like some amateur hour. Wow! So they're going to that sub. Kind of, yep. I mean, that's gotta probably, be right. Yeah. Tom yeah. Cruise probably took the Titan down to a sub. And- <laughs> that explains why during COVID, he, it. Yeah. he personally rented, uh, reportedly, two yachts to support the crew. Um, that must uh, be for that water it. sequence. Yeah. yeah. That's fucking funny. Um, yeah, well, you know, like I'm excited to see the sequel. I like, I want a continuation of the story. Like I'm curious, like how they're gonna, you know, they're going to close this one out, but, but yeah, Man. I mean, I, I get your frustrations with it though, for sure. If the next one bombs like this one though, it's over, it's done. Well, yeah. it's going back to Top Gun. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think so. If that if that fucking eight made a billion, I think the team IMF re, gets reinstated as a bigger team or something. You know, so yeah. um, they got to. They just got to be smarter about their, Tom Cruise, though. 
Because we've had this discussion. No, we were having this discussion. Was it here? I can't remember if it was here or whatever. Too many podcasts I'm doing. Anyway, (laughs) we were talking about like what what does it look like when you just put a Mission Impossible movie and rotate out IMF members? It's like, yeah, you can do that. But you're just getting like this C-level version because nobody's jumping off a goddamn building like Tom Cruise. Nobody's going to go as nuts about these movies as Tom Cruise. And so you're just going to get these watered-down versions for a couple installments, like, and then people are going to be like, this sucks. Because it's just, like, yeah. Mission Impossible, but everything's green screen now. Like, You know sucks. what, though? And I saw, like, uh, our boy Drew Taylor and I forget his what's-his-face doing the Light the Fuse podcast, which is now the official Paramount podcast for Mission Impossible. They're oh. making jokes about um, – and there's interest in the producers are getting, like, Chris Hemsworth involved as, like, a villain or a character. And if you've seen Extraction 2 – there's some cool fucking real practical 20 minute set pieces, which are yeah, you know, that prison not, not shit. hundred percent. Right. It's not Tom Cruise hanging off a fucking airplane, of course, but in terms of stunts and practical sets and avoiding green screen, that's the closest thing you're going to get to hand to hand style, practical set pieces anyways. Right. So um, I, I have a question for the purpose of like, you know, this trailer, the first trailer we saw for this was like that long, like the basically a behind the scenes, five minute, like behind the scenes, how he jumped off this cliff. When you saw that in the actual movie, were you impressed by that after having seen that trailer and then like knowing how it, I feel like I can't quite, no, I can't no, because they, they, they mismarketed this so bad. And let's touch on this because, oh my God. This pissed me off. They <laughs> they sent they made this the centerpiece of the marketing, right? All yeah. throughout the COVID years, it's like we're doing this shit, we're making this movie. I'm jumping off this, and it's an impressive sequence because you uh, when it cuts to the shots of like when somebody was jumping with him or or yeah, whatever, and his face is like fucking you, blown off. Yeah, yeah, and you can see that it's actual free fall that they're you're looking at Tom Cruise up close. That's cool. Yeah, but you. It's so late in the movie and for such a trivial purpose that like in the actual stakes of the movie, it's just get it. Like, hey, I got to get on this train. And yeah, it, yeah, that's it, it. It's so unbelievable as a like a timing thing. And anyway, that like y- you spend most of the movie like, wait, we haven't gotten to the ramp scene. Is this the ramp scene? When's the ramp scene? How the fuck? Yeah. I gotta go to the bathroom. Am I, I I actually went to the bathroom during that movie and thought I maybe missed the ramp scene. <laughs> because, but it was when they got to like Paris or uh, to Paris or Rome or whatever. And then they, or it was in, yeah, it was in Rome. And then the, I like went when they first were taking the boat ride. And then I came back and they were at the party with the entity and Gabriel and all that shit. I was like, maybe he jumped off that. I don't know. But then we get to yeah. the end of this movie and it's like the last couple of minutes in like this, like last 15 minutes of this movie. And he's like, I get it on this train and we're jumping off and getting on the train. And it's like, it's an impressive stunt, but the actual stakes and how it's used in the movie is so trivial. It's the most trivial application out of any one of these stunts. Like yeah. at least in Dubai, like when he's fucking climbing the building, there's a whole set of like stakes and tension there, right? He's got to yeah. get to this meeting. He's got to do it in time or the whole plan's fucked. His equipment isn't working. Like, they create this like awesome Hitchcockian and Brad Bird's still the best out of doing this in the whole franchise of kind of that Rube Goldberger Hitchcock type sequence where he's showing you things and this is the impossible mission and shit's going wrong. And how are we going to get out of this by the skin of our teeth? Um, like all of that's good. Like the plane hanging on the side in rogue nation, right? 
That's just yeah. a thing. But then that leads into a sequence of him doing some slick shit of getting chemical weapons off a plane and hitting the parachutes and falling out. And it gives way to a larger, awesome kind of opening sequence. This yeah. is just literally jumping off the goddamn cliff and getting on the train and not even getting on the train well. And then it having him getting on the train, not even being a major thing. Like nobody dwells on this. It has no weight. It's like, okay, on to this next shit we got to do. Now we're on the train. Yeah. And it's just this incredibly also, elaborate like, way of getting on a train with a motorcycle where I think you could just probably at some junctures, cause a train does have to slow for turns just like ride up to shit. it. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. <laughs> so like he comes into the like I mean it's a hilarious moment right where he like blasts through the side of the train and like kills that dude or like saves you know saves her or whatever but it's also like I mean my like one of the things that's fun about these movies is like it kind of flirts with the line of suspension of disbelief right like some outrageous stunt that he does that he actually did makes that makes it so cool and so kind of real and then we're supposed to believe on this moving train. He just like coincidentally busted through the window and saved her. Like, like that was silly. Yeah. You know, like it. it's kind of like, I don't know. There had to have been a better way of. It's also it. weird because like what they put their bodies through last year or well, last year, four years ago, shooting Top Gun Maverick was so much more impressive. Yeah. Like yeah. the months and months of training and these extra three thirties, like some planes and then flying actual jet fighters. And like the whole cast had to do that. And Tom Cruise actually being able to do that. He actually flies jet fighters. He actually has his own P 51 Mustang. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, it's so much more impressive, but in the confines of mission impossible, like Kofi said, the, the, the Burj Khalifa fucking, you know, the, building sequence or the or the plane in rogue nation like they kept upping the game and for me i personally love the halo jump from the last mission impossible follow yeah. i think that movie is far superior but then cool. you just go to like he drove a bike off a ramp it's like okay in in real life it's super fucking impressive and no other actor on the planet would ever do this and then he'd go into a parachute sequence like incredible stuff but and like you said ben like in, in terms of the story what did it lead to he's just getting on a fucking train and yeah. he crashed and it turns into this like weird goofy uncharted sequence where he just crashes to the side of the fucking train it's just you ruin the moment and also you're downtrending compared to the previous films also again why are you doing this two-part bullshit tell a story that's complete right like yeah. ah, man it's i know we're harping on this thing it's just so disappointing but because i feel like this should have been the movie of the year but it's just yeah not you know so that's yeah ah, well Good luck next year. <laughs> see, see if the next one. At least we don't have to wait fucking 10 years or whatever. We have to wait for that conclusion to Vin Diesel's plight in the Latin Fast X or whatever. Because yeah, we have to, different. for that one, that part too, we have, that hasn't even been filmed yet, right? And they're going to film the Rock movie first before this shit? Yeah, but we know that's fucking the worst storytelling on the planet. And then we know it's all CG and everyone fucking hates each other. And, and you know, <laughs> this movie, I, you know, I expect greatness from Mission Impossible and McQuarrie and these guys, you know? Yeah, I, I understand it. the COVID, the delays, the production all got fucked. But like the planning of two films, part one, part two, was a bad call. The focus on an AI-based villain and not adding context or explaining or developing that was a bad call. So yeah, um, and now they're suffering for it because it's not a movie; it's spreading by word of mouth. If you go see this movie, you're like, ah, whatever. You know what I mean? This is not the movie. The Top Gun I brought my family to. Right? Fallout's last time last mission possible i told everyone go see this this movie i'm like nah so yeah you know that's it yeah. right there 
Yeah. Um, well, I did not expect for us to talk about Mission Impossible this much, but I guess we, we had to, to though. Say. It's too big, right? Yeah. For us. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, bring Henry Cavill back too. <laughs> yeah, <Get> robot <laughs> arms. Did his fucking yeah? What happened? Did he get like impaled like through the mouth or something? Oh, he's super movie? fucked by that helicopter sequence. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of still can't believe. Yeah, dude, he's dead, him. dead. Yeah. No, I mean for sure. I just mean you know like yeah, he's, he's up there fucking, with Emilio Estevez. He could use a paycheck anyway. <laughs> Emilio Estevez. That's so true. Yeah, elevator fucked. Oh my god um we like, fuck we like there's been a superman cast and shit since we podcasted last this thing's already two hours though so i'm gonna i'm gonna end it but um all right well cool guys like uh fun to catch up we obviously had a lot to to get off our get out of our system and stuff so yeah um, you got any uh anything else anybody wants to say before we do our, our little outro here no, but hey, bringing it a full circle, you mentioned Superman. Uh, we interviewed, again, trying to fill our media room at Comic-Con, we interviewed the production designer of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, who works with James Gunn on oh, many projects. Yeah. yeah. So she, she cool. talked briefly about Superman Legacy and said something I love to hear. It's like, hey, James Gunn has such a clear vision and plan for Legacy. That's why she's hyped. I'm like, fuck yeah, because we talked about in the podcast here about how Gunn is so intricate and like, doing his own storyboards himself and planning every fucking scene in advance. Yeah. So I'm happy to see if they're restarting the DCEU, given, given the weird bags they have to carry forward still that if they're, if that is chapter one, he is at least planning it properly. Like he is the rest of chapter one of the DCEU. Yeah. So awesome. that has me excited. Yeah. I like the casting too. I was kind of hoping for Emma Mackey on, in the lowest role, just because I, I love her in sex education and stuff. I think she's great, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm good with these guys. I think they'll be good. I'm excited to see it. Uh, but cancel this fucking Aquaman thing. I can't like I cannot even fathom with all these reports coming out now about all these other like reshoots and how fucked up all this is. Like I just it's like who the fuck? I, don't know. I still don't understand. It must be an accounting error. How did the first one make a billion dollars? Like, there's no fucking way. Like, I do not for life me. That is some just, Alice in Wonderland shit, right? Like, there's no way they made a billion dollars. Like, that just I, kept making money. Believe. Yeah. Because it was a wasn't it a Christmas release and it's like it I don't a, know it was but it's like oh god that 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 is like prime mediocrity it, it's it's okay at best but that was this five years be- ago oh man <laughs> people wanted to hear fucking people's to Africa bro you need to stop hating <laughs> this movie's gonna make a fucking fifth of that like at this rate so yeah I mean I Jason Momoa's whole stance on this movie is I already cashed the check yeah (laughs) yeah 100% good for him I love Jason but damn yeah you see he's hosting Shark Week by the way for Discovery I don't know if you guys saw that he is the guy he is Shark Week good for him so fucking funny the uh yeah also the best part of Fast X by far um All right. Well, fuck. I liked Haunted Mansion as much as Kofi. I'm just going to say that. I don't think it's terrible. I thought it was uh, I thought it was passable. I went with a friend of mine who um, who has like three kids and she she said exactly what Kofi said, which is like, who is this movie for? Because it's not like it's not super. It's not very scary, but it's like kind of too scary for kids. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens with that shit this weekend. That is some prime Disney plus content right there. It does not seem like people are going to go see that movie, which is kind of a bummer because it's actually, it has a decent little, like kind of emotional story to it that I actually found like kind of sweet and stuff. But, uh, also Jared, we, you didn't say shit about this fucking Kofi, but like Jared Leto is like the villain of that movie. 
and his voice is like auto-tuned throughout the entire thing. <laughs> and then like he is a CGI character. So I do not understand in the least why Jared Leto is like cast in this movie. It is a, like they could not have done anything yeah, more to bury he, him. There is no like real Leto-ness to it. It's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of so nuts. weird. It, it is like, it is very fucking weird. Do what's crazier. Disney still has him as the lead for Tron three, despite yeah, this and Morbius. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Uh, yeah. I love me some Tron, but Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, Christ. All right. Well, this is the greatest place as any to end this shit. So, uh, I don't know. I guess like, uh, so this weekend is haunted mansion. Next weekend is TMNT. So, Maybe we'll be back next week if there's some interesting news to talk about. Um, and then, uh, but we'll definitely be back. I think, I think we're definitely going to want to talk about TMNT because that, uh, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to too. So I'm, uh, yeah. I'm excited to hear what Kofi, like going and seeing it with your kids is like and stuff. Cause I, uh, I kind of, that was like one of the first movies where I was like, Oh man, I wish my kid was like old enough because not that she would have enjoyed it, but I would have loved to have like, shared that nostalgia with her and stuff. But. Oh, did you take your either of you guys? Did you guys take your kids to see Elemental by chance? I didn't. No. I have not seen Elemental. No, I paid. I, I took my daughter to see it. It's pretty good. I think it's worth it if you guys have a chance. So Disney Plus. Pro- I'll see you. It's a yeah. I mean, that's the Pixar way, I guess. Unfortunately, but it is. It's 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 safe enough for like a in my case a six year old. So I'd recommend it. Cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, all right let's uh we'll wrap it up um this has been podcast x i am ben kendrick you can follow me at ben kendrick on all the socials the freaking i don't know <laughs> what, what all do we got oh, we got using x, sky. We got, blue sky. we got threads we got i'm there um i like threads though threads feels like old school i know people have been saying this but it feels like old school twitter like back in our early days of doing like screen random shit like i feel like i actually can connect with people there and like talk to people and stuff which is cool but yeah um, i think this all just, shows how silly as fuck all of this is mm-hmm. yeah no i mean it's true for sure uh you can check out what i'm doing over at static media we run looper and slash film as well as some other websites you guys have probably seen mr rob keys my co-host yeah you can follow me on twitter at rob underscore keys that's k-e-y-e-s uh, since Threads is a thing now and a lot more positive than X slash Twitter, I am at FailCube on Instagram and Threads, and you can follow our stuff on Screen Rant. Cool. Uh, special guest, Kofi Outlaw. I am over at comicbook.com, where I also host the hopefully award-winning Comic Book Nation. So we cover all things geek culture, and you can uh, always find me over there. Awesome. All right, guys, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We'll be back maybe next week if there's something big that happens. Otherwise, we'll probably see you guys for TMNT Mutant Mayhem. 